Welcome to the Cleveland Moto Cookie Cast. We've got our Girl Scout cookies are in the house. Thank you, John McElfresh. You're welcome. And a half gallon of milk. A, a half gallon of 2%. Thank Piper. If you're gonna, yeah. If you're gonna, don't worry, we're still drinking. Right. <laughs> if you're gonna, drink, if you're gonna eat cookies, you should drink milk. That's a lot. Um, I do the tagalongs, mm-hmm. the peanut butter, the chocolate. Like I thought you were a thin mint guy. That's why. I, no, I am a thin mint guy. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I order usually a total of eight boxes of thin mints and eight boxes of tagalongs. Omg. Oh, what yeah. are the peanut butter ones? The tagalongs. Well, you got oh, those tagalongs. The tags okay. are yeah, the, that's, those the are chocolate. Favorite. With peanut butter on the inside on top of a vanilla cookie. Or you can get the dosi doughs, which are that's the, do, like. the dosi doughs. That's what what are, what's the dosi dough? They're like a nutter butter. Oh, they're just yeah. nutter butter. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a nutter butter. It's nutter butter. They're awesome. You can drink those with beer. They're really good with beer. Are the dosi doughs? You take the cookie, half of it, yeah. put it in your mouth, take some beer in really? your mouth, and just let it. Let it. Whew. Deer? Whew. That goes beer. with any cookie. Oh. Oh, I never it goes that. for any cookie. I honestly, I've never tried it. I've never... It's got to get either milk that, or beer. That goes or for any else. insert food. <laughs> I'll admit, I'm just the I'm just the like the purist. I take a little bite out of one side of the thin mint, a little tiny bite out of the other side, and I'll suck the milk through it like a straw. Beautiful, and that works great. Hey, hey, look at that. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. We thought you were a Hoffert unit because Hoffert unit uh, hadn't showed up yet. We haven't even done the roll call. Sweet Jesus, you are high vis. <laughs> My I can God, see man! You from here, except, except for your legs. Let me turn on the white balance. <laughs> Jesus, Christ, you are. Can you turn that down? A little you bit? are the magic of all. Man, wait! You have a high vis vest He's over got a, your high vis jacket. The high vis vest over the high vis helmet. But, but your then camouflage pants. I can't even see your legs. The ultimate irony is the camouflage pants. The camouflage yeah. pants. Yeah. Si- I like the blend. It's fucking chilly out there tonight, man. Is Forty-two yeah, degrees. I'm, I'm a little bit more surprised about that than I. Yeah, forty-two it's get degrees. Colder too. Yeah. Looks like you got everything right except the gloves. Yeah. Yeah, the gloves look like they're a little on the Spartan side. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go drag the mattress out for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's too cold to sleep now. If he sleeps now, he'll die. <laughs> yeah, man. What are you riding tonight? I got the Drifter. Okay, cool. So, what is this trip that you're taking this weekend? Bourbon Trail. Bourbon. This, oh, no shit. This very weekend? Sunday morning, 7.30. Well, it'll be nice by the time you get there. Yeah. It's yeah. Be nice here. Sunday's supposed to yeah. warm up. Right. Sunday is supposed to warm up later in the day, but is it is it going to be br- brutal cold in the morning? We'll find out. We'll find out. You'll know. <laughs> You'll know. Yeah. Are you taking the drifter? No, I'm going to rent a BMW. You're going to do that RT again? Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So. Yeah, that's a hell of a trip. Now, is your son, is it just the Bourbon Trail? Are you going down there, or one of your kids got events down there, too? Well, no, neither of those. Okay. Um, there's a guy who's a friend of my brother, Justin, and he's a, uh, he's a, he owns a restaurant in Olmstead Falls, just as you go into Olmstead Falls, called Le Bistro de Beaujolais. Okay, yeah, I know where that is. <clears throat> yeah. And he bought this BMW six months ago. Okay. He's always wanted to take it on a trip, and... The only time he can go is before Good Friday. Okay. Because I guess his restaurant blows up. Then. Yeah, it goes, it gets busy. Fish fry. So he asked me. Three I think that's to... what's going on across the street. That line of cars. Yeah. I was wondering it's what that was. All the way up the street, everybody's got their flashers on. Really? Isn't there a church down around the corner yeah, or is. something? Yeah, they have yeah. Fish and fry. they're lined up all the way down the street to go do the drive-through fish fry. Oh, wow. it's, it is Lent. It's and, as much as right. I can figure out. So they're probably. Do you think they have a walk-through fish fry? Buying five dollar styrofoam containers for whatever fish. reason. I'm pretty sure that's a fish fry line. That yeah. looks. That seems to be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Today I got pizza and stuff at the shop, but I also had to get salads because some people are on Lent. 
I had fish today, twice. Lent. Here, Lenter. Yeah. We, we did uh, tuna noodle casserole. Ah, see? And we pounded right. that thing. Ah, there you go. Gone. I had catfish, and then I had kung pao shrimp. Kung nice. pao! I do not participate in the Lent. Uh, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, neither yeah. do I. Well, I'm just, not really Catholic. It's just that's how it worked out. That's the way it works out today. <laughs> <laughs> Accidental Catholic. Yeah. Turns out, that's just the way it works. I do it's like how good George fish wants friend, to. Yeah, so George yeah. is going. You guys are going to the Bourbon Trail. Yeah. So he's he's a um, he's a new rider. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So he was saying, "Well, I was going to go down 71," and I said, "No." George, you don't want to go down to me. Yeah. We'll find some side back roads. I'll, right. I'll go with you. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to try to lead them down there. And then cool. we're going to spend Sunday, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Jesus Christmas. You're doing a trip. Well, and, and the problem is we don't have, he was going to have us get trailed by a car so that when we want to go to actually a bourbon distillery, we right. can actually drink some bourbon and yeah, have somebody drive us back. So yeah. We're not, but that guy crapped out. You don't so. need to. There's Uber. And there's a number of bus services down there. Like if you stay at a hotel anywhere yeah. close to one of the, they'll, they'll, see this is this is why I talk forth. to you guys because yeah. you guys are you yeah. Guys, don't let it cramp because your style. it doesn't matter if you're in a bike or on a car, right? Or in a car or on a bike, right? You're still not going to. They be know able people drive. are going to be down there drinking bourbon, right? And that's so the draw. They, they have stuff down there. There's All right, things in place. Yeah, nobody's going down there for the banjo music. <laughs> it's, uh, they will cart you around. Yeah, <laughs> we will. We will move you. From they the will hotel. carry you from your hotel. No, to the we're going to move you from the, the hostel. Yeah. <laughs> the hostel. Are, um, are, are you, you staying dress, in are you the hostel? Like a Russian Spetsnazi down there too. Like this, uh, <laughs> Maybe you do look rather. You do look rather Spetsnazis. I just want people to think. Fuck. That was was that West Virginia we were in when we had to stay at the hostel? Uh, Tennessee. <laughs> was it Tennessee? Yeah, okay. when we were down at the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the lady pronounced the name of the hostel. <laughs> As the host. Oh, that was great. Because we, we knew very clearly, based on the the advertisement, the advertisement. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're like, we're looking for the hostel. Can yeah, where's the hostel? Nobody like, could tell us where the hostel was. Well, but they no, fucking knew well, where the hostel was. Don't get upset was. with me. Don't get upset with me. Oh, you mean the hostel? <laughs> it's right over there. It took us three people. Yeah. It took three yeah. people. Hey, excuse me. Where's the hostel? Where, where's the hostel? It's on this road that we're supposed. We should be able to see it from here. Where's the hostel? Where's the hostel? Nobody. Nobody. Hostel. Crickets. Fucking crickets. And we pulled back into the very corner of the camping area, and we had to find somebody who didn't live there. Because we finally found somebody who didn't live there, and that was when she piped up. And when she said that, it was like magic. You mean the hostel? <laughs> and I was like, mm, yeah. I guess we did. It, it became the joke the entire, <laughs> oh my God. The entire weekend. Like, yeah. hey, boys, let's get back to the hostel. <laughs> oh, my God. And the people who ran the hostel also called it. The hostel. Wow. So we were fairly certain Yikes. that we were the only people that knew what a hostel was. It's a legitimate pronunciation yeah, because huh? host, you're hosting somebody. Mm-hmm. Hostel? Tell. It's not a hotel. No, I get you. It's a place where you're hosted. Yeah. I get, totally get like you. It's kind of like a hotel. Well, the fu- oh, funny thing was... Um, right behind the 7-Eleven. We, we got there, we got <laughs> there late. <laughs> what was it? 7-Eleven? 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven. Bunch of bees in there. We, we got there late and you know couldn't give our money to the owner. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't show up till God. What was it like one a.m.? And we were already burning things. And we we yeah. were freaking <laughs> hammered. And we like, already had ah, fireworks. We had fireworks out at that point. Yeah, we were blowing I, I, shit I, I, up. <laughs> and he he pulls in. He's like, "Hey, 
y'all guys got to pay up now? And we're like, oh, yeah, sure, dude. Yeah, we're waiting go. on you, man. <laughs> we're waiting on you. Here's money. Take it. And it was a hostel. I mean, it legit was, there were several rooms. You could probably put two or three people in each room. Common use area in the middle with the foosball table and the whole deal. It was awesome. And the strangest solution I've ever seen to plumbing. <laughs> Rather than dig under the slab of the building, because it's basically a pole barn. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how they build everything down there. The toilets were like... They put the toilets a foot and a half up in the air. <laughs> it was hilarious. So rather than contract you had plumbers... Like, you had to, like, climb up onto You had to climb up on... Literally, it was like you were climbing up <laughs> throne, onto... Throne rooms. Oh, but it was four on each side, staring at each other. So it was like a V8 just shitter. Like, just like the Army again. And it was like, it was like being in the Army again. You had the little, you know, little curtain in front of your knees. And you had, a, you know, this eight-banger, this eight-banging boxer that you're in. But in order to get up onto the toilet, like the toilet, the toilet seat was armpit height. Wow. So in order to take a shit, you had to climb up two stairs and then squat. It's the weirdest experience because you're way up in the air and you're Listen, pooping. kind of special. Yeah, you did. And then like, your buddy was across the way from you. <laughs> and, you. and you snap the curtain with much authority. Snap! Look what I've produced. And it was fun. But it was a, it was a really cool thing. We'll have to think of what that place was called because the guy made us barbecue two days. Like, they took care of us. Oh, the barbecue place next door was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I took it a was... shit at work today, and no less than three people oh, walked in oh, the bathroom pumpkin. and turned right around and left. It was pumpkin. Awesome. Congratulations. Something Motorcycle Resort. Okay. Well, it per- and you know chunkin? what? It was probably pumpkin. spelled Pumpkin P-U-N-K-I-N. It, it, was spelled, pump. it was spelled Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Pumpkin Chunkin? Yeah. Pumpkin. Yeah. Pumpkin Holler or something. Something Motorcycle well, Resort. Well, it was pretty good, and it was... Uh, and it was... <laughs> and it was... Let's call it dragon adjacent. Because, you know, you get down there and yeah. everything is dragon, 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 yeah. dragon. So if you're within 15 miles, you advertise that you're on the dragon. Meanwhile, it was it was a hike to get to the, quote, dragon. We're about 10 miles away. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it was just enough to let a lot of our guys run out of gas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the one guy. <laughs> we had some people that had some serious fuel issues. And uh, barely made it back because the gas stations don't stay open until two o'clock in the morning out there. They close promptly at six or seven p.m., and that is not awesome. Yeah, and some of the counties are dry too. Sidewalks, just roll the sidewalks right up. Yeah, you have no reason to have those. Yes, but Mike Catalano and I did find that you can uh, go up to the corner store and find a gentleman named Jeffy, and he'll get you the moonshine. And he'll he's got the moonshine right in the back, back yes. in, in the side seat of his car. Yeah. Yeah, these guys came back with moonshine because that's what we needed. From me, there's yeah. a big holiday. Oh, we we <laughs> went to look. Fireworks. How can you go wrong? <laughs> we went to look for directions to a liquor That's store. awesome. Oh, wait. Sweet Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's a song. Yeah, we yeah. ended up. We went to look for directions to a liquor store. Right. And that uh, doesn't exist. I I went into the store and asked the guys, "Excuse me, sir, can you tell me where I can find a liquor store?" And he got offended and was just like, "I don't know nothing about that. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what." You go outside right there, and you go to the left, and you see a gentleman sitting on the bench, and you ask Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> so my friend Mike and I... Fuck them revenueers. <laughs> <laughs> my, my friend Mike and I go over, and we're like, uh, someone told us that a gentleman named Jesse could tell us where to find a liquor store? And he's like, I'm Jesse. I'm like, okay, um, where's the nearest Who's liquor me? store? Was, was everything followed with a... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He's like, I'm Jesse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're like, where's the nearest <laughs> liquor store? He's like, right, right around that corner, you follow me. 
Wait, was it Dick Wilde you were talking to? <laughs> yeah. That sounds a lot like yeah. him. Yeah, it does. That's, exactly. that's kind of where I got the voice from. Okay. So we go around, we're like, what the fuck, there's not a liquor store over here? And he, he opens up the side door of his truck. I mean, this guy literally looked like Uncle Jesse from Dukes of Hazzard. And he, he lifts up a blanket, and there's just a bunch of bottles of shine. He's like, how many want? Like, <laughs> That's I don't know. And I'm sorry, what are the city boy prices? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my friend Mike whispers in my ear, he's like, you do know we have to do this. Yeah, oh, yeah, believe me. He's like, yeah. because this is a fucking great you're story. You're in Tennessee, and you're on motorcycles, and it's He's dark. Like, this is an amazing. <laughs> this is an amazing story. We have to buy it. If you don't come back with moonshine, you have lost. <laughs> so we went back, and we, we got two bottles, and it was yeah. fun. I, I, How much was it a bottle? You remember? Uh, I think it was 20 bucks a bottle. It's not bad. For a, the big, large yeah, They, they came back with legit courts. Court. Yeah, they came yeah. back with courts. Yeah, yeah, and it was legit shine. I mean, it yeah. was you could definitely run a motorcycle on it. There was no doubt that it was it was all the firepower you'd ever want to have in the form wow. of the bottle. Um, nice. That it, that was the Tennessee experience. How'd you guys feel the next day? Fine. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah we, I think that weekend we we'd done a pretty good job of laying in the food to defend ourselves against the alcohol because we never stopped eating. Well, the funny yeah. thing, too, is when, we got, back, when we got back right, to the man. place, the uh, the lady that ran the little restaurant bar-ish yeah. area, yeah. like, you know, we told her, like, oh, yeah, we just saw this guy, Jesse, and got some shine. She's like, why did you all ask oh, me yeah. that you want some moonshine? I got all the yeah. moonshine you need she here. She was <laughs> upset that we had shopped outside of the property. Yeah, we had no yeah. idea that she had like loads of her own. We didn't know that she was the regional representative. Yeah. Don't you go bring it outside court. Who'd you buy? Yeah. Who'd you buy that from? Oh, a guy named Jesse. Oh, you, you bought that from Jesse? You His moonshine understand. ain't nothing. Yeah, that was what she said. She's like, it ain't no one moonshine. I got the real moonshine here. And they're like, I got apple pie. Yeah, got that was the thing. She like, she was like, well, I got choices. And I was like, oh boy. Yeah, and it was like, you do not understand the rules of moonshine holler. Good to the best stuff. Oh, it's so fun. Stuff over here, if you drink too much, make it go bad. I think that I think that whatever the normal, whatever the normal operating procedure was for that part of America, they turned it up to eleven <laughs> for us. I think that there's a whole lot of, yeah, like there's not as much poutine served in Canada as there is in the general Niagara Falls region. Right. Really, they're making a big deal out of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, how did you guys find the hostel? Uh, it turned out it was just the other side of the road. It was just one. Well, did you look it up on your way down there to? Uh, we had to go there. And- we had gone through a um, internet forum called yeah. Do the Ton. Yeah, the Do the Ton guys. And so this hostel was on the uh, was on the line. No, one of the, the one dude, of the guys the dude searched it. Yeah, the Do the Ton. And it just turned out that it. they divided the property. The hostel was the hostel was down the street a piece. Piece, yeah, and because that's what you say when you're down there. So a lot of the action, the real party happened at the campsite, but we decided to stay at the hostel so we didn't have to take uh, tents because they had run out of cabins. We stayed at the campsite the second year, right? So the first year we stayed at the hostel, which is exactly one CB three fifty crash away from the campsite. <laughs> <laughs> 
Shane turfing the... Shane just missed a turn at about 75 miles an hour and, and went into a like cornfield. grass. <laughs> and just a freshly cut cornfield, and he was all every bit of into it. And Punk he never laid it down. Pumpkin Center Motorcycle Resort. Pumpkin oh, Center, that's Pumpkin it. Center. Yeah. Maryville, Tennessee. That's yep. where we were. And I strongly recommend it. Dothetime.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. Pumpkin Center. That's where we were. Oh, Pumpkin Center. Lord. Well, good job on the remembery on that one there, Dustin. Pumpkin Center. But oh, that was... I think that we got there, and we'd had, like, the occasional little maintenance beer, the maintenance drink. We got the bikes unloaded, and that was just, well, we got to find this place. And when we finally got the the truck situation, and we were like, okay, well, we're going back to the campsite. Well, the campsite was one turn away. It was It was just straight very, very fast. When you see a turn, take it. And we did straight very, very fast. And two out of three of us made the turn. <laughs> and the other third of us on the gold CB, he was riding gold member at the time, uh, the gold CB350 did not make the turn. It continued perfectly straight <laughs> on the drum brakes, <laughs> just right in the patch. So it was pretty uh, pretty exciting. He did not crash it, and he did manage to luck out and be able to ride it out. Oh, that's what we call road dirty, to break too. In a straight no, line. no helmets, no gear. Yeah. yeah we we, did, wrong, we yeah. were like T-shirts and jeans. Well, we we're figured like, let's we, go. Were, we, were, we were like, it's three miles away. He was trying to break in a straight line. Oh, he was? that line I looked through a cornfield. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing exactly what you should do, and that is, had he done anything else, he would have fucking failed. Yeah. He would have crashed entirely. But the fact he cleared a four-foot culvert, <laughs> and just, he left it. He left. It was amazing. Yeah. He left about 20 foot of skid mark, rear brake skid mark. All the way up to the point where the asphalt ended, and then just crossed about a four-foot culvert, and ended up in the cornfield, which was th- thankfully cut. He missed the telephone pole and the guide wire that holds the telephone <laughs> oh, pole in. Jesus. He missed both of those. The guide wire could take your head fucking right off. Yeah. He was between the guide wire and the pole, and right out in the field. Straight out in the field. And he carried that out in the field, a good solid rundown of maybe 80 or 90 feet. And then banked it very slightly to the right and maintained his speed so he didn't sink in. <laughs> and then he pops up, he finds a driveway and pops up in like a gravel driveway. And he got there before we did. Yeah, he got ahead of us. And we didn't go off. <laughs> so, so he took the shortcut. Yeah. He took, he, he he took, took the long cut, but he somehow got the, ahead of us. He took the slow corner, we took the hard corner. We yeah. slowed down for the turn. Apparently that's a rude move. Just think yeah. about what, if he was on a dual sport or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. he, uh, it was pretty amazing. Like that was the next year. Herman. <laughs> I, uh, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. <laughs> Clearly, I meant to do that. So uh, to my yeah. left we have... Dustin! To his left. Pete. To his left. Chrome. To his left. Mac and Fresh. And to his left. Chris Smith. And, of course, your humble narrator, Phil Waters. So what we were talking about today is we are talking about suspension. 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 And Thanks for bringing the glass. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so the basics of suspension. Now, suspension is a dark science. If you mm-hmm. want to talk to the guys from Touratech, who sell also, what is that, Traction? Tractive. Tractive suspension. Um, there are a number of companies, Race Tech. These guys all do extremely high end scientific suspension for high quality motorcycles that do things very, very well. And we're going to talk about why that's important. But I'm also going to tell you that this is not going to be a, you know, grad school level class on suspension. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to just basically hit the high spots. And there's some middle ground between 
a full-on high-tech suspension and a stock suspension too because a stock suspension they sell you that bike they don't know if you're a 120 right. 140 pound rider or a 220 240 or bigger rider right. 300 so. 350. There, there may not even be adequate adjustment on a stock suspension for some riders. Do you know what we... Our we, adjustments go from test them to Say it ain't so. <laughs> well, do you know one thing that I, I feel very confident in saying this? Unless a manufacturer goes to a lot of trouble to tell you otherwise, the suspension that comes on your motorcycle from the factory is shit. It is lowest bitter. Because they're trying to sell you that motorcycle for $100 less than the competitor's version of that motorcycle. And one of the easiest ways to not spend that $100 is in the suspension. That's why a lot of motorcycles ship from the factory with Kenda tires or Maxi's tires. We've all seen that, right? We've also known that for a lot of motorcycles, the first thing you do is go home and take those brakes off and put good ones on. Well, suspension is one of those things that it's very, very easy because most consumers don't shop out a bike when they're buying it based on the suspension. In fact, in a weird fucking perverse way, a lot of people buy bikes looking forward to the changes they can make in that bike's future. Yeah, Which is I like, go with that. A lot of people yeah. look at a bike as a, a, a new piece of canvas. Right. You know, and customize it and make it Thank fine. God we don't pick our wives and children that way. I'm buying an engine <laughs> and a frame. Right. <laughs> That's right. I bought this bike for the engine and the name on the side of the gas tank. We, we don't right. pick our wives that way, but the wives pick the husbands. I that think way. they do. <laughs> Look at this guy. I got I a can lot of work ahead of me. Too. <laughs> yeah. I, I can make him better. That's right. No, you can't. I know I can. Right. But keep believing that. So the basic rules of suspension are you have to, unless the manufacturer, and the reason I'm throwing that out there, I want to throw that out in the beginning, because I'm not just trying to throw everybody under the bus. Uh, Moto Guzzi goes to a lot of trouble to put Paoli or socks or bitubo suspension on their motorcycles from the factory. And when you buy a Moto Guzzi from the factory, you're getting an aluminum body shock. You're getting a re- an infinitely rebuildable shock. You're not getting a stamped steel, one-time use disposable component because they go to the trouble of doing that. They also usually let you know that you're doing that they're doing that. They want you to know that this is better well, than a good selling point. Well, but that's it doesn't matter to a lot of customers. To a lot of customers you're telling them that and I do it every day. Look, I want you to check out the suspension on this bike. This bike has preload and rebound damping on the rear suspension. It's got gas over oil. It's got a rebuildable shock body that you can essentially keep on the road forever. And you can alter it any way you like. Click, 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 where we're, click, 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 zoop, click. Yeah, zoop. they are not. They don't fucking know what you're talking about. And there's a certain other percentage of people that are buying the bike that probably never even touch or look at the suspension. They could care less what, what kind of suspension's on it. And if it, the bike rides like crap or, or if it just happens right. to fit them by luck, then they just ride it the way it is. I commit to trying to make my suspension on the bikes that I ride this summer better. Actually looking at them, right. playing with them a little bit, maybe turn the preload all the way down and then click it up and try to use some process to right. try to... The first thing you can do at is least set, the set. set what I have. Maybe right. probably not buy anything new, right. but set what I have up the best that it can be. Okay, so it's quiz time. You buy a motorcycle. It's an XYZ brand motorcycle. It could be for any of the majors whatsoever. Ooh, I like XYZs. XYZs are great. Mm-hmm. Examine your zipper motorcycles. They sell a lot. Okay, 
How long do you think the oil, because there's oil, in your front shocks is good for, meaning within its serviceable parameters, and you can give the answer in the form of miles or years? There are no rules like closest without going over. We're not playing let's make a deal. <laughs> but just throw something out quick. Dustin. Five years. Five years. I'm going to say one hard riding season, 10, 12,000 miles. Okay, go ahead. 12,000, 24 months. Okay, go ahead. Uh-huh, that sounds great. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. It's 12,024. It's 1224. <laughs> it? It's 1224, give or take. And it's I looked, it's different manufacturers. Things, well, do you know why it's that I, way? I've taught a suspension course now and then. Right. Right. There's a real important reason it's that way, and that is it gets the vehicle out of the manufacturer's warranty window. Oh. Because suspension repairs and suspension component level repair is very expensive. You don't crack into these systems without investing a couple hours. Just in just in the disassembly, just to get the thing emptied out. If anybody's ever taken a front fork leg off, turned it upside down, and drained everything out of it, you'll know that that's not a 45-minute job. No, it's a pain in the ass. Okay, well, the manufacturer pays well, my for... my CB750 has yeah. little drain plugs in yes, it. Yes, it does. Absolutely. <clears throat> Why don't these new bikes have that? They do. They're just different. Yeah. yeah. So the... Uh, Usually in the bottom. But, yes, the manufacturer really does design your suspension to last about two years, about 10,000 miles, 12,000 miles. And the reason for that is simply they're only committed to getting you out of the warranty period. That's really all they give a fuck about. So if I don't change mine for 5,000 miles, does my warranty extend? (laughs) We all know how warranties work. Uh, Not well. Not well. You're right. They work right up to the point where you need them. Sure, and there I can sure there's a lot of other manufacturers who might even say the suspension's not covered. It's a wear and tear item. Okay, now it turns out they're not actually that crazy when they talk about the ten thousand mile thing or the five thousand mile thing. Uh, first of all, if you take uh, wait a minute, are these the show notes? No, these are my notes. These are the show notes that you get to keep. Yeah, these are my notes. Oh, dude, these are my notes too. Dude, take a take a <laughs> take a gander at that. Okay, the reason you do have to look after your suspension is, unless your motorcycle's new, unless your bike's two years old, unless you have less than 10,000 miles on your bike, you might need to do this. This might be something that's happening right now on the bike you're riding today that you may have overlooked. The answer to that is, I have. I know I have. There are many motorcycles that I ride on a daily basis that I assume are safe that it turns out could probably use a good looking at. For just a minute, we're going to talk about the front forks only. And the front forks, is just we're just going to divide it up into front versus back. We're not even talking about setting up the sag or anything at this point. Right now, we're just talking about the maintenance of getting to the point where you have something you can set. Because until you're working with the device that has the correct lubrication in it and is working correctly, setting the sag is a waste of time. Because you're going to have stiction and the shock is not going to be performing the way it's supposed to, so you're not even going to be able to get a good setup on the shock. So the step one is to get the oil out of it. What do you think you're going to find in the oil that you take out of this shock absorber that is spending its entire life going through little tiny holes or through little tiny shims, like a shim stack, that's what they call the stack of shims that restricts the movement of the oil that gives the dampening effect to your front end every time you go over a little tiny bump. Otherwise, it would just be a spring. I mean, yes, there were old motorcycles, or your bicycle when you were a kid may have just had a spring in it. There was no dampening whatsoever. Springer. They decided, yeah, well, there was... 150s, 170s. Yeah, you know, Just exactly. a plunger fork. That's yeah. all they are. Yeah. They're just a spring. Yeah. There's no dampening there whatsoever. Right. Well, they decided to 
keep the front tire on the ground was probably a good idea. So rather than have the tire bounce to the moon, they'd try to push it back down again, try to keep it from going further than it needed to go in a hop. Because when you're leaned over in a turn, it's nice to have the tire on the ground. There's not unreasonable. Okay. Well, these discs, or what a lot of people call cartridge or cartridge emulator type device, all it is is a baffling system to keep the oil from moving quickly from point A to point B. It's to slow it down in a predetermined regulated manner. By deflection. Those things deflect yep. like cup. And Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the shim stack is really interesting. If you get a chance to look at a video or a cutaway or see how they work, the more pressure they're on, there are different thicknesses and different strengths of these shims and the shim stack. Or different numbers of shims. Exactly. And it's like uh, a lot of things. If there are six of them, well, you can increase the resistance by having nine of them or decrease the resistance by having three of them or make them out of a different material. And then other companies will actually use devices that have holes in them to regulate the flow of oil. What we hear at the shop a lot is, yeah, man, you know what? Bike's 20 years old. I want you to go ahead and change out my front fork oil, too. And I, oh, by the way, it's pissing oil out the seals, so I need you to put new fork seals in it. Yeah, okay, yeah, you do. You definitely need us to put new fork seals in it. <laughs> uh, that's about half of what needs to be done. And while you're in there, man, take the, I know the manufacturer says to put five-weight oil in there, but put ten-weight oil in there. I'm a big fella. Okay. And you're wrong. Okay? <laughs> because the oil that you have in the bike right now, if there's any oil left in it at all, which I'd be amazed if there's any oil in it, it's ten years old. It's full of air bubbles. It doesn't perform the way oil is supposed to perform. That's what I had my hand up about. Yeah. What happens to the oil inside your suspension? What? Mm -hmm. Why do you need to change it? Well, is it is it like when it's in a motor and you have shearing action of right. gears on gears? It's probably similar to when it has to go through those baffles. Mm -hmm. It starts to break down. It starts to get oxygenated and stuff like right. that. It does get bubbles in it. Absolutely. And the bubbles, you know, it forms bubbles and the bubbles break. And right. it, bubbles are more compressible than oil is. Just like air is more compressible than water is. Um, the more bubbles you have, the less your oil is acting like the type of oil it's called. It's, it's, its viscosity number no longer matters because the temperature in a shock absorber usually runs at about 120 to 170 degrees. So you're not a super high heat application. Right. But you are a stressful application. And if you do immediately just make your default answer, I want you to take out my 10-year-old five-weight oil that's acting like water. That's acting like nothing. Well, it's still a it's hydrocarbon to it. Yeah. Does it break down just like gasoline? Oh, we're going to talk about that. if you're aerating it, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about that because that's a big, big thing. So the answer is not just put in the fork seals and change the oil. And if you do that, what you're probably going to end up doing, if, if you respond that way, or if you're listening to your friends talk about their motorcycles and you say, well, Dave said, replace the fork seals. And if you replace the fork seals on my EX500, you got to replace the fork seals, take out the five-weight oil and put in 10-weight oil. Dave is not actually right. You've never felt what your forks should Don't feel like. Don't be like Dave. Well, have you ever ridden your <laughs> EX500? Have you ever ridden your EX500 that you own that's 10 or 15 or 20 years old? When have you ever was, ridden it with the correct oil in it? When it was brand When it was new. There's a reason why people buy new bikes. Right, because they're Cause awesome. Because it's new. Yeah, because they're great. Right. And a 10-year-old... for the new fork oil. Well, new fork oil, new everything. I, uh, no, I bought one because I wanted to turn the key and push the button because right. I work on everybody else's all day. That's exactly right. <laughs> There's not cobbler shoes. Exactly sexiest, why I bought my DRZ. Yes. I work on everybody else's. I don't have time to work on mine. That's right. The sexiest motorcycle ever is the one that starts every fucking time. So 
all the shocks that we're going to talk about in the first part are called emulsion shocks. It's a very generic term. Emulsion shock means that it's using oil, not nitrogen, not air. It's using oil and the viscosity of the oil as it passes through different passageways or different structures to create resistance. Anything to slow the oil down, that's an emulsion, an emulsion shock absorber. We have that's the is the shock cast. It is a shock. It's shocking. It's the shock cast. And the electrical one will be revolting. The, uh, <laughs> the shocker cast. The shocker uh, cast. So the other thing that we were going to talk about, what do you suppose, if we had to ask you, if I drained the oil out of your forks and your motorcycle right now, what would be in it? We know, okay, and for the sake of argument, we're going to say that what went into it was five or ten weight shock fork oil. Mm-hmm. What's in it now? The blood of a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> well, in yours, yes. Foreign bodies. Of what origin? Fish oil. Plugs. Well, this is where Wait, it gets a little creepy. Yeah, it's probably whale oil. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a it tastes extra oily, extra fishy. You know, all the wear that's going on inside of there, yeah. you're going to have microscopic particulate yeah. aluminum. You're going to have yeah. bronze. Yep. Whatever the bush, I mean, Molybdenum? whatever the slider bushings are made of. Well, I so mean, that's I'm, a big, I'm a, big I'm problem. I'm not a metallurgist, but I yeah. mean, yeah. oil additives that have fallen right. out, like you're saying, yeah. molybdenum or. So here's what whatever is in your oil Zinc. after 5,000 miles. We'll call it Earl. Earl. Here's what's in your lubricosity. First of all, you got Teflon, all the Teflon that used to be on your bushings. By the way, if you're ever changing fork seals, it's probably a good time to change bushings too, because it turns out they don't last forever. They are usually Teflon-coated bronze. And uh, it turns out if your motorcycle has those fancy upside-down shock absorbers, those uh, front forks that are upside-down, your bearing wear, your bushing wear on those is twice as fast because the leverage against it. Yeah. So if you have upside-down forks, your bushing wear is double. Yeah, it's double. Even though your surface area is much greater, you have much more Mm -hmm. uh, load on it. So they do rip through the bushings. And they said... Um, according to the guys at a couple of different suspension companies, if you're replacing your fork seals, you should also be replacing your fork bushings. They're cheap. And the Teflon comes off of them real easy because they're basically the interference. That's an interface between something that is hard chrome plated and aluminum because your fork legs are probably aluminum. They're cast, right? So uh, that's not cool. turns out, you know, Teflon's rather hard. And uh turns out, that when that thing moves up and down inside the fork leg, it also creates loads and loads of aluminum oxide. Because, once again, if you've got air in your oil, that air is in touch with the aluminum on the inside of your fork legs, which becomes aluminum oxide. If anybody's ever opened up an old carburetor, looked inside an old carburetor, you'll find that powdery aluminum substance. Well, it turns out aluminum oxide is an excellent media for sandblasters. It's great at taking stuff off of other stuff. It's a beautiful abrasive. So, Aluminum oxide, you're going to have that in there. You're going to have dirt because every time the slider goes up and down, up and down, that seal, there's going to be dirt getting past it. Mm-hmm. Bugs. This is the biggest thing in the world. Bug guts. Bugs, bugs, <laughs> bugs. Uh, I had a guy tell me years ago, if you come off of a daily ride and there are dead bugs on your forks and you are not out there with the hotel towel that's been in hot water or the microwave or whatever, and melting those bugs off your fork legs, you're an idiot. Because the rubber seal is soft. And it turns out your fork is running at 120 to 170 degrees. 
What do you think that does to a bug carcass? It dries it out really good. And the bug guts are a really nice adhesive. Turns it into an abrasive. Those little exoskeletons. And those exoskeletons mm-hmm. are exactly, if you can picture a crab like, or a yeah. lobster, it's just a very small crab or lobster. And imagine running an inner tube across the back of a crab or a lobster. It's going to damage the inner tube. Well, the same thing is going to happen with your fork seals. And it turns out that more fork seals have earned an early death by bug guts than anything else. Okay? Didn't know that. Kind of cool. Yeah. So when you're done with your, you're done with your ride, clean the bug guts off your forks, off your uh, stanchions, off your uh, the chrome well, you part of your forks. You build the forks and you put it back together. Put some fork boots on there. Oh yeah. Well, fork boots are a really good idea, and they do make neoprene ones with Velcro on the back. You yeah. can put them on after the fact, and those are really great. Don't put anything. They said one of the downsides to rubber boots is sometimes the rubber boot um, can restrict the motion, and it also disguises the problem. When you got leaky fork seal, you can't see you've got a leaky yeah. fork seal until it's way too late. They also so, hold moisture in. Yeah, and here's another top tech tip. When you buy an old motorcycle and you see that the chrome fork legs are pitted, you know, you look at the motorcycle and you see there's a little pitting on there, and that's because they've been sitting for a long time with dead bugs on them. The acids in the dead bugs have attacked the chrome plating and put pits in it. Or they've got stone chips from years and years of riding. The stone chips have got oxide uh, has happened inside, and you got this problem. Well, Or just rust. Or just rust, right. Well, it turns out if you take a, a, a stone that's traveling at freeway speeds and it hits your fork leg, you're going to end up with these pits in there. But it's not just a pit. If you look at the surface of the moon, you see craters. And around the outside of every crater is a high spot. So the crater part's shallow, but the high spot's higher than the, the fort area around it. That's the problem. If it was just the pit, the fork seal would still work fine. The fork seal would fill up that little area where the pit is. That's why they're rubber. They work just fine. However, it's the high spot that tears the shit out of your fork seals. And you got a combination problem because the high spot around the impact has damaged the seal, and now you got a low spot where the rock actually hit it. 400 grit sand or 400 grit emery paper, emery cloth. Buy some, keep it with you. If you're going to be going like some crazy, like a, 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 an adventure, and you're going to be on the road for a long time, yeah, it's not a bad idea if you see you've got pits, stone hits, and dings. Dress them. Hit them with that 400 grit. It will work fine. It's not going to damage. The chrome on your fork legs is fucking thick. It is not light duty. You're not going to take it off with a 400 grit emery cloth. I, I use a quadruple lot steel wool. You can. And uh, yeah. uh, three-in-one oil. Yep. They said, in uh, one of the techniques they said was use 200 for the really bad stuff, then go to 400, then go to double lot steel wool. Well, you definitely want to use some sort of oil yeah. as a lubricant oh, yeah. while you're sanding it. Well, you don't want to create... Yeah. Problems. yeah, right. Absolutely. So they said 400 grit emily cloth is super, super, super important. Because if you take, yeah, a leaky seal, a leaky fork seal leaks out oil. The oil picks up road grit and road grime. It also has aluminum oxide in it. You take those three things to put them together, you've just made yourself some really nice valve grinding com- compound. you got really nice valve lap- lapping compound. You just made it for free on the front of your motorcycle. The downside is it's destroying your seals. Absolutely destroying it. And like you blew a seal. I th- yeah. <laughs> Leave my private life out of it, damn it. The, uh, okay. Last time I blew a seal, they, they wouldn't let me back me in the out of the zoo. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, okay, I don't think we've gone through one podcast where Dustin hasn't said that. That's... Uh, okay. Another tech tip. <laughs> we got to put that Speaking on Speaking of blue. Yeah. Bluebeard over here. Giant chrome. Well, that'll be in the show notes. We'll have a nice picture of John Bluebeard. Um, okay. Arr. 
The tube. What side of your fork tubes do you suppose have all the pits in them? Go ahead. Oh, road side. The front. The front. Head, headlight side. Yeah. The headlight side. The They're covered in pits. Side. Just covered in it. It's a great idea. You say side, do you think right or left, not front. Front or back. Facing edge. Leading edge. Leading edge. The part that goes through front. re-entry. Right. Unless. Road cap Covered in, in pits. Unless. Yeah. The business end. Unless you're getting pits where it's slinging off the tire mm-hmm. and swinging up and hitting the backside. Sure. But I would think the yeah. fender would take care yeah, of that. It turns out most of them are on the front. Right. Here's a tech tip for you. Spin them around. Every couple of years, loosen your triples and rotate them. Nice. Yeah. Turns out they'll last a lot longer that way. That came from a guy who sells forks. I thought that was pretty cool tech <laughs> tip. I thought that was neat. I never even thought about it. I didn't think about it once. And then I went and looked at about 20 motorcycles in my showroom. I looked at all the CB750s. I looked at the CB350s. I looked at bikes that do have miles and years on them. And I was like, shit, you can see the difference between the front of the fork leg and the back. It's not, it's not a small difference. It's a significant difference. So it turns out you can rotate your fork legs, and that will keep that to a minimum. You can see the wear. Yep. Can you just see the... the yes. Yeah. It's not going to fix the wear. It's not going to fix the wear on the on the bad side, but the loading is going to change. Absolutely, it's not instead of it being this way, it's going to. It makes perfect sense. Rotate your tires, rotate your forks. I, I looked, and you can see the difference. It it, when you listen to the podcast, go look at your motorcycle. The leading edge of your fork legs will have striations that indicate wear of all the various different particles over time that have gotten in there. The backs of them will be virginal clean. Rotate. So at least if you're if you're taking them off or surfacing right. them, mark them. Rotate them. So when you put them back on, yep. they go the other and way. And you can polish the hell out of them when you take them off. A lot of the companies, if you're going to have them rebuilt by the companies, they'll take your fork legs off, put them in a lathe, and they'll run them on a lathe to really give them a nice solid polish, give them a good clean polish to them. It's fine. A lot of them do it as a service. Um, Turns out the, uh, they said polish the tube and rotate it. Uh, fork bushings. Giggity. They are not expensive. I looked them up today. Parts Unlimited. Uh, for a, for uh, the bike, I kind of looked everything up while I was through a Suzuki GS500E. And looking them up, the fork bushings were $7.29 for a pair. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. So I think you can swing that, put brand new fork <laughs> bushings in. And then it turns out, you know, I'm pretty sure when you pull the old ones out, you won't know that there was ever Teflon on them, and that's cool, you know, that you can replace them for very low money. So, and you're in there doing the job anyway. So yeah. the, uh, a CB750, yeah. an old, old bike, yep. what does that be, bronze? They're not going to have Teflon. No, they're probably going to be bronze. Right. Yeah, they're all, most of the bushings anyway, are bronze. it's anyway. going to have fork bushings. Right. Yeah, it'll have fork bushings. Uh, whether it's an upside down or a right side up, it's going to have fork bushings. That's that's all there is to it. Uh, just remember that they they are working against the aluminum inside your fork legs, and that's another reason we talk about. Uh, it, just don't be the down and gir- dirty guy who's just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to take the fluid out. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I'm just going to say I changed a lot of yeah, <laughs> changed a lot of fork seals. But- yep. Really, have never changed fork bushings. Exactly. I'm a jerk. Well, and I've, I'm guilty of the same thing, and I really never have thought about it because I was just like, fork bushings, present, quantity, that sounds two, that sounds done. Hard. Sounds expensive and hard to get, especially for an old CB750. They're not. They're not hard to get, and they're pretty cheap, and they're pretty easy to Why install. Why don't they have like a kit? Why, when you look up fork seals, yeah. aren't there like somebody selling the kit of fork seals and bushings? I totally agree. Why I isn't there? Seals, bushings, washers, uh, clips. If they I, sell me uh, a carb rebuild kit. 
They sell me four of them. Dust wipe, uh, right. wipers right. should be... Have the whole thing. Should be a kit. Make it a kit. Well, they don't make it a kit, and that's not happening. If I type in fork seals, it should be... I should get bushings and other, you other think stuff. It's never come up. You think it'd be in the retailer's best interest to sell you as much shit as humanly possible. Hells yes. You know? It's it's cool to have extra shit laying out in your, uh, in your toolbox drawer that you didn't use. Extra, that you paid for. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> extra parts in my garage right. that I bought that I've never had a chance to install. Yeah, so your oil's probably shit after 5,000 miles. Before you go to a heavier weight oil, outside of what the manufacturer recommends. 5,000 miles? Yep. <sighs> they said, well, they said two years, 10,000 miles, 12,000 miles. Um, they said that even if, your fork, even if your fork legs aren't leaking, it's not a bad idea to change the fluid at least every second year. I'm just going to drive my car. Right, right. Well, <laughs> and that's the thing is, this is the magic of motorcycles, is they can run pretty shitty for a super long time. Right. Right. So uh, the Maybe. trick is, yeah, go ahead. If you had the bike since new, too, you yeah. don't even notice the performance eroding nah. because it happened so gradually. <laughs> now, you can go buy a bike off Craigslist, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're riding at home, you're like, holy shit, is this the front thing? wheel tight on this <laughs> thing? And it could be just the wheel, the yeah. fork shimmying, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you ever notice you got cupping in your tire. Yep. If, you, if you're a guy who's like, if you're methodical, the sticker on my bike says 28 PSI. I keep 28 PSI on my tire. But I got 2,600 miles on this tire, and it's starting to cup. It's not your air pressure. What it's are some quick checks you can do, like on your front end or on your suspension? Like, if you put it up on the center stand, like yeah, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll get into that. Get we'll get into that. The uh, the biggest uh, the biggest thing is if you get into the situation where you have a bad fork, uh, and because we're only talking about forks right now, the biggest problem that you're going to have is you won't notice it driving to work every day. Probably not. However, the first time you need to use those brakes in a panic, hmm. you are going to hit the bottom. You're going to hit the stops, and you are not going to have that margin of safety that's going to keep your tire on the road. <clears throat> What's going to happen is you're going to eat up that, because there's no oil in it. You're not going to have the dampening you need. You're going to compress the spring. You're not going to have the benefit of having the oil there to give you resistance in addition to the spring. Because the oil does provide resistance as it moves through the passageways. It's not just the spring. It, it doubles the power of the spring in an impact. So now it's a panic stop. You've grabbed a handful of front binder. The front end has dropped. You are now straight metal to metal. You're from the axle to the handlebars. And that front tire is going to start hopping. And it ain't going to hop much. It's going to hop once or twice, and it's going to give up its friction package. <laughs> and... When you can build the heat and the friction package into a tire, whether you're trail braking prior to going into a turn so you can carry that friction package through it, or whether you're preloading a brake to give yourself as much friction as you can for a high-powered stop in a braking zone prior to a turn, or whether you're emergency stopping because a kid chased a ball right now in front of your motorcycle, or a guy didn't look and he's turning left in front of you. If that front wheel starts to jump at all, the second that wheel, the second that tire leaves the deck, it has to build an entire new heat and friction package again. And it is going to go. It's not going to hold the line. It's not going to stop you correctly. It's going to bounce and lay you down. And even if it doesn't go to the point that it lays you down, yeah. doing that repeatedly stop after stop after stop is yeah. what causes that cupping in your tire. Oh, yeah. About. Absolutely. The, that wear, that symptom of weird tire wear Everyone, and we've had it with our customers, everyone blames the tire. 
everyone blames everything but the fact that your motorcycle's three years old and you've never done any maintenance to the front of the bike. So that's a great place to look if you have that problem. Uh, the second thing would be if you're noticing that with the correct tire, and I, I'd say we got to remember, tire inflation is super important. If you've ever ridden a bike that was 15 pounds low on front air tire, front tire, it's terrible. It's absolutely horrible. But, and it'll make you think all kinds of things are wrong with the bike. Make sure the tire's inflated correctly. If you notice that your bike seems to turn right better than it turns left, check your forks. If there's, there's a lot of symptoms that people will attribute to all kinds of other problems, it turns out it's just forks. And if you haven't done the maintenance in a long time, that's where the problem probably lies. So, yeah, you got... Oh, alignment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what yeah. I'm thinking about my bikes, because I'm thinking, yeah. what do I need to do to my bikes? Well, first, I need to get the yeah. fucking kank out of them. <laughs> the, you know, the, the KLR, when I went over the handlebars and dropped it, it's kanked. Is that a technical term? The, the kank. kank. The kank. kank. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, for kank most out. motorcycles, loosen all the bolts. Oh, I know. You know, I mean, we've done it. We've yeah, done it a bunch of times. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. They usually tell Smack you that the front tire against the wall. Yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. yeah. Bounce it up and down yeah. and tighten it up. Yeah, loosen everything up, bounce it up and down several times, and then tighten it from the bottom up. And you know, you're, torque it to spec. Right. Yeah. yeah, work your way from the bottom up is always a good move. Um, loosen everything. Your problems start at the bottom, and they end up at the top. So when you straighten them out, undo all the hardware, and tighten your axle bolts first. And what Pete just said, torque everything to spec, is yeah. very important. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> you have different models have different things, but yeah. generally you have one, two, three, yeah. four, five, six, six, seven, or eight small bolts yeah. eight, eight holding fasteners. your front end together. Yeah. Eight fasteners. Fasteners yeah. are designed to stretch. Yep. And they bend the thing they're going into. Good and tight is not a torque. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and remember... It's a German virgin. Right. And also remember mm-hmm. that if you are over-torquing something, when you over-torque these things, they imply a twist. Because they are going into... A, basically, it's a casting that has a slot cut into it. Yeah. And because the, sl- the casting has a slot cut into it, when you over-torque it, you're twisting that tube. That's why we do recommend that you, you, you reassemble them from the bottom up. Hey, so you can get things more lined Very up. Very nice of you to join us. What did you ride? Hey, did you ride the uh, PC800 in? Yep. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I got a title for you. Oh, you do? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, cool. We got your title. Yeah, no it's, shorts. It's called Steve. <laughs> yeah. The. Uh... You got shorts. Well, yeah, he's, he's. I only have shorts because my substantial hind end got wet today. How'd you get wet? Went out at lunch, jumped oh, yeah. in a Jeep, and didn't look at the. Didn't look at the top because the top has a low spot. Oh, and it was full of water? It was full of water. Oh, man. So well, when, that's I, when my fat ass got onto the driver's side of the Jeep, it tilted a little. Yeah. <laughs> and it went all down my back. It, oh. Ooh. Oh. Oh, yes, it was very cold. 42 Ooh. degree rainwater. <laughs> very, very cold. Very cold. I couldn't awesome. pee for 10 minutes. For yeah. Oh, that's terrible. We're just talking about, uh, so Steve's here now. We're just talking about, we basically just got to the whole, like, the maintenance of the front fork oil. You know, and maintaining it, change your bushings when you change your fork seals. Um, a pro tip for you. Why are you wearing sunglasses? They haven't turned yet. Transitions. Oh, they are? Well, they're, so, they're called drive, they're a driving transition. Yeah, yeah. But I left it with the sun, I mean, I left, I had to go to work. a band called driving transitions. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were the, pretty the hot sun was horrible. It was, the sun was right <laughs> in my face going down. And it still hasn't turned yet. 
Yeah, and they, they don't get totally light, but they get okay. All right. pretty light. They're but, pretty dark right now. But these are the only ones that will turn inside a car. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So That's interesting. Uh, <coughs> if you need to clean your fork seals, they do make a product called fork savers and things like that. They're little pieces of plastic, and they'll hook in them. Oh, those are awesome. They're awesome. They cost 6 bucks a piece. You know what doesn't cost 6 bucks a piece? Mm. Go to your grandma's house and steal her old 35-millimeter film negatives. Yeah. Old 35-millimeter film negatives are made of the exact right kind of plastic. That does work. If you can get it behind a sealed milk bottle, yeah, milk jug plastic <clears> will work. The I like the 35-millimeter negatives. 20-ounce, 20, 20 yeah. uh, yep. the thin plastic. Yep. They're making water bottles thinner and thinner. Yeah, nowadays. cut a hook in it. So just, like, use your knife, <clears throat> use your scissors, and cut a hook. And what that hook will do is you'll get it right behind that seal, and you can feel the grit and crap that will come out. And it's pretty amazing. It is. It, it and actually, it like, you'll look at a seal and not even realize it. You're like, oh, that's fine. And then you go right. through it and you're like, holy it crap. It pulls dirt out oh, of there like crazy. Dirty little seal. Well, and I've had them where they were leaking bad. Naughty, naughty seal. And then just fabricated one of those and the leak went away. So nice. I was on my West Coast trip on the CB400F. Lord knows <clears> that bike hasn't had seals put in in a long time. And it's been run hard. That one Obviously probably still did have a whale oil in it. It probably did, and I did. I used the, I used the, uh, the milk jug trick. Yeah. I used the, the two-liter bottle, and I just cut myself a little hook out of it. Got it behind a seal, dragged it around. Big piece of rock popped out of it. Nice big piece of grit, and it didn't leak anymore. The leak was gone. Rubber did what it's supposed to do. It. It moved back into that area and it rubbered. Nice. It sealed it back up. <laughs> now, you did, yeah. Should ahead. we mention real quick, just for those that don't, don't mm-hmm. realize it, when you look at your forks on a conventional motorcycle, yeah. that seal you're seeing isn't the fork seal. Well, a lot of times you're seeing the dust you're seal. You're seeing the dust wipe. You will have to, right, you'll have to move the dust seal up yeah. to be able to see the actual oil seal. And the oil seal is usually what I guess you'd use the term countersunk. It's usually in the fork. It's not resting on top of the fork leg. It's machined down into the fork leg. Pressed into it. Pressed into it. Usually, I don't know. That's what you would call a Chicago-style seal? Yes, Chicago-style. If you see the big rubber bit, the big rubber bit that you can see is probably the dust seal. And you can pry those up. They pop up real easy. In fact, if the motorcycle's real old, they're probably hanging up higher on the fork (laughs) leg than they should be. (laughs) Giving you a very nice view of the fork seal. Inspection fork. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, when you do when you do replace those items, go ahead and replace both the wiper or the dust seal and the uh, oil seal itself. Um, You can purchase fork seal drivers in many different shapes and sizes, or you can get lucky enough to find a piece of pipe or PVC tubing. Um, it's That's a, what I do. It's amazing how much PVC tubing fits really nicely over 37 millimeter and 41 millimeter mm-hmm. uh, fork tubes. Just cut it off a nice long section. It's really nice for driving the seals home. Resist the urge to tap around it with a uh, also screwdriver use it for preload. Yeah, absolutely. Very, yeah, <laughs> very good for using it for preload. The, that, uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So that's basically we the, won't get the, into that. The maintenance <laughs> idea behind the front forks themselves—that's what you want to do. Once you've established that the front forks are in good, proper functioning condition, they have. You're going to check your manufacturer's uh, service manual. You're going to find out how much oil they're supposed to have in them. Sometimes it will be an, an inches or metric measurement. Other times it will be an ounces or uh, milliliters measurement. But use whatever it tells you. Sometimes they will tell you that it has to be uh, 200 millimeters from the top of the cap. 
cc's so. or sometimes it'll be yeah, 250 cc's as a general rule a lot yep. of a lot of older stuff is going to be a volume yep and a lot of newer stuff is going to be a measurement right and you're going to want to pay attention to whether whether this fork is supposed to be compressed when you're doing the measurement right. usually it is yep and usually the spring is out that's right the absolutely will tell you where they have a spring or yeah. out the vast majority of time, the spring has to be out because there'd be so much windage involved on the oil sticking to the spring, it'd throw your volume off radically. And so would the the, the springs taking up volume, yep, too. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Right. So they minimize, if, if you can minimize, most of the manufacturers, they're going to try to minim, minimize the variables. So if you can have the fork fully compressed and you can have the spring out, that's what the, that's, and this is a thing we were talking about earlier. You know what? You got to be real careful. I was talking to Kevin you got to be real careful when you're talking about forks and making any sort of generalizations because every fucking manufacturer has got 18 different ways to take these bitches apart. And they got mm-hmm. three different, well, you know, ours is special. We're going to have you do it this way. Or, you know, you're going to pump the fluid out this way. And next thing you know, you're shooting fork oil 75 feet across your shop because that seal just let go. And thank God you weren't looking down the tube when it happened. Uh, you're going to have to consult. Happens. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm leaning on the fucking fork. I'm like, how come this thing ain't... And that's when those valves open up, or when God, that fork, fork oil stinks. And it's so when that bad. giant piece of goo that was blocking one of those holes in the bottom that was con, you know that contained the aforementioned that's aluminum good. oxide, yeah, the, the aforementioned lapping compound. When that does finally sneak through the hole, it's coming out, man. It's coming out like gangbusters. So, so you've ever taken fork oil out of a forty-plus-year-old motorcycle? Yeah, the it's special. smell. It's real it's special. Just yeah. Whale oil. Putrefied. Yeah, it's, it's putrefied animal oil. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's terrible. Yeah. The uh, we had one at the shop. We did uh, Ryan and I did the was it a yeah the Suzuki four hundred TM four hundred yeah. or whatever. Yeah, oh, disgusting. God. Absolutely disgusting. We had a Triumph, I think it was. <laughs> no, it was a Yamaha XS six fifty that came mm-hmm. in that the front end was locked out. You couldn't compress the fork one inch, not a half an inch. Well, that can happen to forks. Like, Kevin had that happen because he put his tire on wrong, uh-huh. and the tire was oblong. Yep. And somehow it hydro-locked his front forks yep. from, from uh-huh. the front end going like yeah. this. Yep. It, it somehow, like, one was and pushing, you could one was not pulling, push right. the forks down at all. Yep. You took the caps off and whatever. Or and somehow, they dropped right out. And then you could move it. Yep. Yeah. And we had had uh, a kid brought a bike in. It was... Craigslist purchase, so he has no history behind it. You know, <laughs> there's your problem right there. It's a good start. It was for a problems. Craigslist purchase. It's a 30 year old bike that hasn't been maintained correctly, but it went from being the forks worked, they went up and down, to being at some point the forks stopped working and they locked in the fully extended position, and they just didn't work. It looked like a yeah. chopper. Yeah. It looked like a chopper. It was at maximum height. It was at maximum extension, and it was locked, and you couldn't. Choppers. Oh man, I, we tried everything. We tried Get the chopper. Couldn't do a damn thing. Turns out, yeah, cracked the bleeder, dropped it out. It, it dropped normally. Yes, we absolutely drained all the pork oil out of it. Put the recommended amount of pork oil in it. Oh man! I want a Girl Scout into the Samoas. Yeah, the uh, so that's just one of those. You start with that. The back end. Talking about the rears. Most of the time, the motorcycle is going to have sealed rear suspension. The motorcycle has sealed rear suspension on it. If your motorcycle has steel-bodied shock absorbers with exterior springs, the difference between a front fork and a back is the location of the spring. So the back shock 
If you see it's not made of aluminium, that's for Emma. If it's not made of aluminium, then it's probably pretty low quality. It's probably not user serviceable. It's probably just going to be what it is. And in that particular application, you're going to look for a lack of leaks. You're going to want to know that when you push down on the back of the motorcycle, it comes back up, but it doesn't go boingy, 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 boingy. If you got that much going for you and you're not planning on putting new suspension on the back, that's really what you're looking for. There's not These are maintenance-free, essentially, on the back. If the springs are intact, they're not broken, and they're not making terrible noises, you're pouring milk in a beer can. Are you serious? Man, that is weird. That's just making me feel wrong. Uh, it makes so me feel curdly. It does. I get a curdly feeling in my back. I, I, who milk who knows? He might be making like I could be onto something. You might be onto something, yeah, but new, I don't. The newest I don't like, know. hipster drink. So milk and beer. We we'll call that out of Wisconsin well, that's, eyeball. That's mama's milk. That made your uh, Wisconsin eyeball. There's no beer in there. I finished the beer. We have cups. You, you can dip. I have a can. Okay, yeah. I don't have to get up. Can't dip in the can. My beef is in the middle. Don't have a preload on the rear. Right. Well, preload is a collar that you can rotate to adjust how much spring pressure you're actually getting against the back of the bike. And we're going to talk about that now as we transition to... Some are stepped, some are threaded, yeah. some are whatever. They, there's some way to rotate something to put more pressure on the spring than is just in its native position. It's Preload altering... sounds like a euphemism to me. Preload? Preload. Well, you know. Something that happens just before the load. Oh, and, and there's my wife. And there's the wife. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> she's looking for the preload. Pocket Randy. The, uh, no, she's looking for the load. Hey. <laughs> the, uh, the real basics of adjustment, really what you want to set up with. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Racetech's little computer that they've put together where you just enter the math, the numbers you've taken with a either a yardstick or a tape measure. You can just insert the numbers into their thing. It's six data points, and you put it in, and it tells you what your stiction and what your sag is. Super simple little computer thing. It saves you from doing a lot of math. Okay, And actually, it's not a lot of math. But here's the basics. The first thing that you want to do is you want to find what the unloaded length of your rear suspension is. Okay, You can't alter the preload of your front suspension. You can only alter the preload of your front suspension by either altering the spring itself or putting bushings or, or rods. And some people will use like a little cutoff of PVC tubing. Some people use a cutoff broomstick. There's a, basically a slug. And if you put a little slug of something above your spring in the front, and conventional style forks, you can essentially create a preload. Well, there's external preload adjuster. Absolutely. On modern on modern, modern front suspensions, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It replaces the fork caps with a screw yep. that drives down in it there. It just moves down. And pushes. Every time you rotate it, it goes further and further and further down until it doesn't rotate anymore. It spins freely. Then you've reached the end of the preload. Most of them are usually, in, uh, in science terms, they're usually 60 millimeters, 70 millimeters. And uh, that's your range of preload on those. That's quite a bit. Uh, I've seen a lot of them that are considerably shorter. But when you have a motorcycle that has the preload adjusters, now a lot of different motorcycles have a lot of different ways to adjust the suspension. What I've decided to talk about tonight is a very mid-90s way of looking at things. Everything we're going to be talking about is standard fare on most motorcycles you're going to be buying on Craigslist or 
eBay or whatever, or you've got in your garage and you're doing a project bike on. We're not going to get too deep into the multi. We're not talking GP two thousand. I'm not going. Yeah, I'm not going real deep into the remote reservoir nitrogen stuff. Okay, the uh, the biggest thing you want to do at the back end, obviously, is to make sure you have as much suspension as you're paying for. If you look at your motorcycle spec sheet and it says that you have four inches of rear wheel travel, yes, there are four inches of rear wheel travel. Now, how much of that disappears when you put your fat ass on it and your touring bag and your wife? Now you have one inch of rear wheel travel, which means you and the guy on the Harley Sportster 48 have a lot in common. Your motorcycle used to have four inches of wheel travel. Now it doesn't. It has one inch. Go ahead. What's a good way to, how do I determine my wheel travel? Do I have to, like, if I, is that, if the bike is up off the ground, Excellent. how much distance is between, right. you know, the yep. tire and the bottom and the fender? Yep. And then when I set it down, does that go away or, you know what I mean? How do you, So we're going to talk about yeah. static sag. Well, find a, a fixed point directly above your rear axle. If you drop, drop a plumb bob, yep. off right. a point on your frame. Oh. Right through your rear axle. But your suspension would have to be completely unloaded. Like, what you're going to do is you're going to put the bike in the milk crate. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then put a piece of tape on the frame yeah. right there. Maybe there's a bolt or some, yeah. some sort of reference point. Yep. And make that measurement yep. completely unloaded. Right. Completely unload your bike. And basically what that means is if you've got a fancy, the, the tool that everybody bought at Sears that doesn't work with the shit is the floor jack for putting underneath the ATVs and quads and Harley Davidsons. More people have been harmed by that tool than any other thing in the world. They cost $62. Save your time. Just get both of the wheels in the air by supporting the middle of the motorcycle. So support the middle of the motorcycle any way you see fit. If you want to do it by using ratchet straps to the ceiling joists of your garage, that's fine. But don't lift the bike using its axles. Okay. So you want to unload the axles. You want the wheels dangling. Full sag. Full sag. And when you do that, you're going to measure that. That's the unloaded length of your rear suspension. You're just going to unload it completely. Okay. And if you have that reference point... Yep. Excuse me. If you have that reference point, you can always go back to that. Absolutely. Because you've marked it there with a piece yeah. of tape, whatever. Yeah. The way that I do it to this day is still the same. Blue painter's tape, wooden yardstick. I tape a wooden yardstick to the side of the bike on the bodywork directly above the rear axle bolt. I mark it, sagged. Then I just take the bike, and that's the first thing. You can write that dimension down. That's L1 if you're using the, the computer. Okay, that's L1. You're going to mark that down in there. That's what you want. <clears throat> Write it down. Okay, if you use any sort of a stand under the bike that's imparting energy against either wheel, your math is useless. Okay, second, basically, math. right, bring the bike down to the ground under its own weight. Nobody else on it, nothing else on it, just the way it is Not normally. on the side stand. Right. No, and your luggage isn't full of beers. So you got to kind just, of sort of balance it with just two yeah, fingers two on fingers. the handlebar. Yeah. Yeah. Two fingers. Somebody else mark. Yep. And what I usually do is I'll bounce the bike a couple of times. I'll let the bike find its natural home. I'll bounce the bike a couple of times, let it find its natural spot, and then look at that, look at that again. And now that's your normal ride, or L2 in this case. Okay, so that's your normal. The normal is just where the bike is, no, and that's nothing. I mean, that's no ta tank bag. That's no nothing. Um, that's just where that is. Now, three. This is where it gets fun. Load her up. And that means you might need a friend, right? <laughs> so uh, load her up. Get on the bike as you would normally ride it. 
or as you're going to be riding it in this particular adventure. Obviously, the way you're going to commute to it on work is different than the way you're going to ride it across country. Me and my wife are going to ride right. it anywhere. Yeah. You know, One other thing, though, is yeah. that the preload should be all the way loose. Yeah, zeroed out. Yeah, yeah absolutely, zeroed yeah, out. Yeah, I didn't, that. I I didn't say it, but... I was yeah. zoning out. So right. No, you're right. So back right. the preload off so it's as light as it can be. Right, yeah. Reduce the preload to zero, and then perform this test. Um, and then once... Now you dropped it out, and now you get everything. Now... You do want to have all your weight, so get your feet up in the air. So get your feet up on the air. The best way to natural do it... Natural riding position. Natural yeah. riding position. And the way I do this is I am in the garage leaning against the wall. I get my elbow against the wall. That's all I get because the elbow's not taking any weight off the bike. That's when I have the... The reason I have the yardstick taped to the back of the bike is I don't need a partner at this point. I can just look down and see the number. Okay? So what you're going to have is you're going to have static sag and you're going to have rider sag. Static sag is what we did the first time. No rider. It's really fucking confusing, isn't it? The second one is rider sag. That's with the rider and the gear on it. That's the two. Uh, the rear wheel sag, the rider sag, they're saying should be 30 to 40 millimeters. I go 10% of the travel. And that's, that's the excellent. And that's and there's this is really hilarious because it's printed right there, 10% of the travel. If you're not sure, use 10%. Um, they say it's static. Now, this is where you... You have to learn the static sag, the first one that you did between the unladen bike and the bike on its own, is only 5 to 10 millimeter. That's fucking nothing, man. 5 millimeters? It's a quarter of an inch. I, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, no, that's less than a quarter of an inch. 5 millimeters is tiny. So 5 to 10 millimeters static sag. When you take a bike from airborne to on its feet, only five millimeters. I would estimate that when I get on my KLR, it goes, yeah. I'm taking up about 50%. Fuck yeah. Because the KLR oh, is yeah. sitting up here, and when I get on it, right. Oh, itch, yeah. It sets yeah. back down. Right. And <laughs> that's the 10% rule is if you, God gives you eight inches, right? How far do you think we'll go with me on it? <laughs> right. God gave you eight inches, 10% is a lot more than God only gave you four inches. Right, oh, so God, I wish God gave did. me more. I wish I had a good four <laughs> <laughs> So thank you. That God. static sag is a really big deal. If you notice that you don't have the five to ten millimeters static sag, guess what you got? Your springs on your bike aren't even strong enough to support the weight of your own bike. Okay, you got to start by getting stiffer springs. You're not even in the preload territory at this point. You are. Your springs are cached. They're not, they're not up to the job of your own bike. Fuck you and the bike. A lot of bikes are running around on 20-year-old worn-out springs. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part of the test. And I've seen bikes that when they're under their own weight are sagging out way more than 40 millimeters. We should say here, too, when you said yeah. back off the preload all the yeah. way, you only want the spring to expand to its free weight. Yep, exactly. And then, so once you have some play in there between the collar yeah. or whatever, you want to... Just back, or tighten that back up to it. You don't want to compress the spring, but you want the spring to be touching that collar. Yeah, I was. Gonna, yeah, if your spring real, otherwise I've, your bike is yeah. going to sag. Very rarely in my life have I ever lifted a bike up in the air and had there been daylight between the spring and the adjusters. Yeah, but if you're going yeah. from a starting point, that's you're trying true. to get this started, right. start up. When yeah. you say back it off right. all the way, you want to only back it off. Make sure it's metal to metal to metal. From the adjuster to the spring to the spring seat, metal to metal to metal. No daylight between any of those. Back it off till you can't see that daylight, and then just tighten it back down. Exactly. You start with a neutral no load. I would think that static... Static mm. distance will be greater on a progressive than on a straight. Than a Absolutely, we haven't even started yeah. talking about progressive right. springs yet. Well, and progressive. Stay with us, folks. Right. Stay with us. Oh, it's true. I'm sorry, no, it's true. No, right. 
The uh, that static sag, uh, that static sag is really important because ultimately the static sag comes into play when you hit a bump and that bike is now unloaded. When you bounced, okay. When you've bounced, that's going to be until you hit the stops. And nobody likes that feeling. When you go over the railroad tracks. When you go over the railroad tracks, right. When you hit the big bumper, you come out of the pothole, that kind of thing. Um, a little quote, top racing, uh, top racing suspension company suggests that the rear, rear wider, the rear wheel rider sag should be around 30 to 40 millimeters, and static shag, stag should be around 5 to 10 millimeters. However, this may vary depending on your uh, bike, the manufacturer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have to look at how much overall travel you have. The you consistency know. is 10% or 40 millimeters. Seems to be the, the general consistency in a street bike. Now, things change when you're talking about big, tall adventure bikes and KLRs and dirt bikes and everything else. Um, there is a chart for that, and I've included that. Um, it, well, actually, I got it in here, but I can put it in for dirt bikes. They have a different charge. And it's all, the chart is almost double. For dirt bikes, it's almost exactly mm-hmm. twice as much. Is it still ten percent, or does it go to twenty percent? It's almost twenty percent. Okay. Yeah, it's almost twenty percent. And uh, I looked at the numbers because kind of gave them a, a bit of an eyeball there, and it looked like twenty percent. Uh, so does that count for my DRZ, even yeah. though it's a supermoto. Well, your DRZ is a dirt bike with street tires on it. Yeah, street tires and wheels. So yeah, it's it still got, has the same suspension as a DRZ. Or, right. It still right. has. Well, no, it's it doesn't have a three-inch suspension travel. It's right. got the upside-down forks up yeah. front. Right. It doesn't have a three-inch suspension travel in the back. It's got Actually, a big suspension. I, I have full Race Tech suspension on that. I should have yeah. that tuned. Well, you can have it tuned, and you can tune it yourself. The, it's pretty darn easy to do. Uh, here's the game: if you do sit on the bike and you notice that you are have, <laughs> if you notice you have more than forty millimeters of sag, I guarantee you will. Um, that's when you start cranking your preload up. And you start cranking the preload up. Why are you looking at me? Cranking that Because pre- <laughs> <laughs> you like so to crank, you crank your preload. You like to crank your preload, preload yep. buddy. Well, and if you have a modern motorcycle, like Hoffert's got the mana. He literally does crank his preload up. He reaches under his left leg. There's a big fucking knob under his left married. leg. And he cranks it. And that's what makes his... Well that, that, and he can do his preload while he's riding. Dude, what an advantage. He can crank his knob while he's riding. BMWs are like that. Yeah, yeah. hydraulic preload. Yeah, preload. Just reach under there and crank the shit out of your knob. Just reach your arm under your leg and crank your knob. That's how you know you're going for money. That is so convenient. It is convenient. It co- it is con- it's convenient if you're riding one-up and you pick up a passenger, or if you ride that bike around town all day, yeah. but on the weekend, That's right. you put your big saddlebags on it and you got your camping gear and you... You can just crank it. Or I like to commute. Well, if in you the, pick up a passenger and still have to crank your own knob, there's a problem. There's a problem. Honey, reach down and crank that knob for me. <laughs> I was going to say it would be a little awkward. <laughs> Could you please crank that knob just a little? Pardon me. I'm just I need crank, about, I need I'm about just 26 turns. I need about 26 turns. That's it. And uh, so that's a big deal. Uh, now, what you're going to do, if you realize that you've taken that and you've cranked your adjuster, which is normally a well, it's normally like a castellated uh, ring. It has different not different notches in it, or sometimes it's a threaded ring. And the whole idea is you basically twist it as and it puts more pressure on the spring. Well, if you've run this thing out to the end of its travel and you are still sagging more than forty millimeters, remember, you're sagging more than forty millimeters. You hit a bump. You don't have that. Yeah. I'm sorry. And here My comes the booze. Me. Yeah, rub a little alcohol on it yep. from the inside. The uh, it'll eventually find its way to the pain. Have your that? medicine. That's the Gosh. point where you literally need to buy more spring. Purchase more spring. The biggest thing they said, the number one complaint that they've had with people 
and motorcycles, anytime they're suspension related, is just make sure that the motorcycles springs are up to the task. Undersprung. Yeah. Yeah. Oversprung's bad too. Well, and I was gonna talk about that because we have a certain we have a case of oversprung right here in the room with us. If you are the owner of a well I've got a loose spring. If you are the (laughs) owner of a brand new Moto Guzzi V nine, they come from the factory with the preload set at seventy five percent max. And as a person that rides a lot of motorcycles, that bike is really, really uncomfortable to ride at a 220-pound person with that preload set at 75% max. You're not that fat. I am exactly that fat in my gear and my boots and my stuff. Well, that's what they said about CB750s, the front end, the fork, right. the springs and the fork. They're too just, hard. They're just too they're just hard. They're just too hard. And there's an example, and there's a feeling that when you ride that bike... That it is bu- waiting to buck you off. You hit yeah. expansion joints on the freeway, and you swear to God, there's daylight under your ass. It's like riding a hardtail. Yeah, it really is. And if you have the tire inflation set correctly, and you have everything on the bike prepped the way it should be, the customer goes out and goes, God, this thing's the worst ride I've ever had in a motorcycle. And then you realize, oh, shit, he's 180 pounds, and I didn't zero out the rear suspension. So after a much trial and error with the V9s, I've learned that when I prep those bikes, back it I back them off to zero. I back them off to the minimum. Because what I've learned is on those bikes, when they're backed off to the minimum, it gives me a very nice ride. It really feels great. We saw with the zeros when the uh, FXs came in that they were too hard on the front end, weren't they? Right. Yeah. And so the manufacturer, the fact that a manufacturer who's who knows their shit during the assembly of the motorcycle, has chosen to set, and it's consistent. I mean, we do a lot lot of these bikes. They're all coming in. All the V9s come in at three quarters. So whoever's prepping that shock and getting that shock ready for installation is setting that shock up at three quarters, you know, hardness. He's like, those Americans eat too much pasta. Yeah, right? (laughs) Well, look, it's an American cruiser bike. We better jack it up. And the zeros are the same burgers. Well, the zeros all come in set up the same way. So quality control in the factory is doing their job. It's just that the setting, the default setting that they're using is a really, really hard setting. And that's kind of interesting because it can be a big fucking problem if the suspension is too hard. Now, the hell with, we all talk about it going soft and sagging out, but realistically. Well, know, if it's too soft and sagging out, you're going to bottom out every once Yeah, you are. If you ever yeah. bottom, if you bottom out or you, you know. bottom, if you hit a big bump and you feel gagunk. You, you know if you bottom that's out. That's also a technical term. Yeah, gagunk or gadunk. <laughs> yeah. Was it a gagunk or a gadunk? Gadunk. Oh, a little extra badunkadunk, never hurt anybody. But the uh, that's a big damn deal. Front preload, people talk about uh, rider stag. The rider sag and static sag in the front end, you can absolutely do that. It works exactly the same way. We were talking about uh, the sag. The one thing that's tough with the front is you want to you want to avoid putting slugs in if you can because the slugs actually limit the overall wheel travel. So if the manufacturer said the front wheel was supposed to have four inches of wheel travel and you put a two-inch slug in there, you now have two inches of wheel travel. I want to put slugs in mine because I have this thing, and I've had it on some other bikes, mm-hmm. where when it's when you go over a bump or you come up like a mm-hmm. ramp or something, mm-hmm. and you go to that that static, you can actually feel that the springs, are there's space in there. There's space. When it's a static yep. spring, yep. they're not touching. Oh, yeah, they're and not touching. And it's click-click, yep. you hear it. And because your springs mm-hmm. are worn out, and they're compressed. Yeah. Yeah. Place so, the so on a 1999 KLR with 700 miles on it, 
My springs are gone. From time over mileage. Just sitting there. Never underestimate yeah, the power of time. But just think of a spring yeah. being compressed, compressed like this for 30, 20, 30 years. Yeah, it's going to absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. It's 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 going There's to plastic be plastic deformation, and yep. that's probably what it is. It's the yeah, it is. And so in those situations, you can do the cheap route, and you can stick a plug in there, a spacer in there. But you're probably further off. Look and see what. You'd be amazed at how cheaply you can buy a uh, you can buy a set of original factory springs for, because everybody takes them out. Everybody puts in progressives, but you can also spend two hundred bucks and get a set of progressive springs and some. You know, if your bike doesn't have emulate or valves on it, you can get emulators, and which are just little twisty bob deals that actually do give you the ability through the use of little clicking knobs. To choose different sized orifices and let the oil pass through—that's yeah. really cool. Cartridge, yeah, emulators. cartridge, cartridge yeah. emulators. Absolutely. I, mean, I have to back mine off one click in the winter. Right. Yeah, because the oil because gets the thicker. Absolutely. Viscous. It takes a long time for the oil to get up to 120 degrees operating temperature, especially in the winter time. So that's that's kind of a big deal. The uh, the other thing I want to talk about we got through that's the front, the back, rider sag, static sag, everything else. Damping. Okay, uh, there is no, there is no better way in the world than to say, if your bike is not damping correctly, you are going to have a shitty ride. It is going to be all over the fucking place. And if you ever want to know what that's how that can kill you, try riding on a wet road, a twisty wet road. And man, when it's important for your tire to be on the ground holding your bike on the road, if that tire's jumping around, you are going to be all. Over. And if you ride a motorcycle, a customer brings in a bike, and you're riding the bike, and you're just like, this thing just feels, I don't feel confident. If that, if you have that feeling of not being confident going around corners, going through turns, check the suspension. I got a real strong feeling that it's not dampening. I have a real strong feeling the oil in the front forks has been there a long time, the passageways and the holes are clogged up, and the oil's not moving top to bottom the That's way it scary. should. Yep. It's scary. It's scary as fuck. It has a very distinct feeling of like the front ends just dancing around even though the front wheels in contact with the pavement even though you check the air pressure man that feeling is extremely uh unsettling unsettling yeah brown trousers moment and it's uh and you go into a corner hot on a bike you're not really familiar with and the front end just doesn't want to steer it's uh the other thing that can cause that is having too much sag in the rear suspension yes and having too there much preload in the front suspension so essentially the bike's trying to pop a wheelie yeah all the weights on the rear you go into a corner and if that front wheel is not weighted at all you're not going to get any steering i will refer you to our second sheet our second <laughs> sheet is this to improve steering quickness and to complete corners faster there's actually a setting for that so what it says is if you want to uh if you want to get through a turn easier if you're having if you think the bike's not going through the corners as good as it can be or it's fighting you in the corners increase the rear shock preload one position Increase the rake one position. Increase the rake. <laughs> this is after you've gone through your initial yeah, sag setup. Yeah, this is after you've set up correctly. Right. So we should it's say that. De- yeah. So decrease the once rake. you have the bike set up correctly, once your sag is where it should be, once you've addressed the situation you may be having on the back end with inferior quality shocks that either the oil dried up in them 20 years ago or the spring rate has failed, and you've realized now that the shocks on the back of your 30-year-old motorcycle don't work, how cool did it feel when you put those bullshit Chinese eBay shocks on your CB750 
better. It felt pretty cool. It felt better, but again, they <laughs> right. were bullshit Chinese. Right. But it so still felt so much better it, than a 40 year Compared to a, yeah. an, a, the original CB750s, yeah. which are like, wah, wah, oh, I, I couldn't bed believe springs, it. Springs, you know. When I put a set of those YSS, I, I God, they were 70 bucks a set. <laughs> there was something like that. But they're remote reservoir. At least they're fresh springs. And they're, they're fresh springs. Relatively yep. the right. Exactly. I'm not. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. they were out. They're alloy housing, but they they really did. I couldn't believe. Like the bike that I've been riding for a while, I put those on. I was like, well, guess what? I have suspension again, as opposed to just something where I would just watch my rear wheel hop. So and the CB750 was very much that. Yeah. With the stock setup, the the rear end is mushy. Oh, it's and the front end is stiff, hard as a rock. And it yeah. Sucked, so yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, and it wasn't real happy to go around corners. When I put the rear shocks on, the new rear shocks on the back, it obviously kept the bike at a higher ride angle. It took away my my sag because the bike, even under my own normal weight, was dropping out way more than it should. It got I had suspension again. I didn't have wheel hop. I had dampening. Wow, that was cool to have dampening on the back of a CB750. And I was able to go through corners way easier. You'd have thought that I'd put brand new tires on the bike. You'd have thought that I'd replaced the swing arm bushing. You'd thought I'd tightened everything up. No. I just put a rear shock. I put a set of rear shocks on the bike that weren't 40 years old. Fresh juice. Guess what? It's amazing how much better the bike rode. Fresh it felt juice. fantastic. All right. Well, I was going yeah. to say, too, that if fresh you have an issue fresh going, like when you're going into the turn yeah. one way or the other way, yeah. you might have one. I have one bad fork. <laughs> That's what he yeah. said. Left or one's right, gonna, man. One's yeah. going to go bad first. <laughs> Believe me. If you would handle perfectly, <laughs> yeah. if you were, you know, going left. Yep. As soon as you try to go right, forget it. The it, thing yeah. stood you up. Oh God. That's a great way to know that you've got one failed fork, or one dry fork. Yeah. If you got one dry fork, you'll know the bike likes to turn left. It hates turning right. Um, there's. There's really nothing. There's. Uh, we're gonna just show you a real quick diagram. Talks about when you go into a corner. Any let's for the sake of argument, we're gonna talk about. We're gonna visualize a right hand turn. A right hand turn as you get into the front. As you get into the turn, you're gonna be braking. The front end of the bike is gonna go down. Okay. When you reduce the front brake because you're probably not going to carry the same amount of front brake pressure the entire way through the turn as science would have you're probably slowing down well at the, some point you're going right. to let off the brake and power through the turn you could yeah yeah you, you at some point you're going to let off the brakes when you get to about the halfway point and this is on standard forks and not on yep. earl's forks or uh, no no we're not can, talking about earl's BMW yeah. right not at all it, so. if we're getting into any of that then that goes out the window um or a c70 right <laughs> <laughs> Dampening is important because you do not want the front end to disappear when you touch the brakes to get ready for your turn. You also don't want the front end to shoot back up like a pogo stick when you do release the brakes. And then on the back end, when you make a right-hand or left-hand turn, in this case, visualize a right-hand turn, when you're done doing the turning part of the turn and you want to get the fuck out of the turn, right? what are you going to do? You're going to give it the beans. Of course, you're going to give it the beans. And when you gun it, what do you want to do? Well, you'd rather have the back end squat a little bit to apply pressure and hook up a good, nice traction patch and get out of there. If the back end doesn't squat at all, all you're going to do is skip the tire. And that's going to put you into one of those situations where the curb gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until you're on the other side of it. And, and high side. Yeah, high side. Nobody likes a high side. High side's the worst kind of side you can have. 
right? So that's, Oof, yeah. yeah, yeah, high sides are no fun. Don't ever turn a perfectly good low side into a high side. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's not awesome. All right, we we're talking about our little, uh, going back to the Buell sheet. The Buell sheet that we have is very handy. In the Buell owner's manual, one of the things that was really cool that they did was they gave you a very simple guide. I've, I've made copies of them. We'll put it in the show notes for everybody here. And it's really clever because if you have a modern suspension system, this sheet is from a bike from, I think, 2005. So it's fairly modern as far as the settings. Uh, to improve ride quality, your ride's harsh. Reduce the compression dampening counterclockwise one quarter to one half turn. If more is desired, reduce the rebound dampening counterclockwise one quarter to one half turn. So you see they're working balanced. So they're doing the compression dampening and they're doing the rebound dampening at the same time because your overall behavior is that shock absorber is going to compress and relax at an equal rate. If it's compressing, if it's really, really hard to compress, but it's relaxing way too fast, you're going to get a bounce. You're going to get a jump. So they're telling you to work in measures equal on both the compression and the rebound side. It's a good thing to keep in mind. If you notice that that's not helping, you can reduce the rear shock preload one position, softening up the back. Now, Ideally, your, your suspension would never hit a stop. It would never yeah, bottom out. Yeah. It would never top out. It right. would just always stay. Well, and that's why you have to do the difference between the static and the unloaded. The static and the unloaded is to make sure that you don't have something that on the top end of a bump is just literally zeroing out and being at the end because that will damage the shock. It will damage the internals of the shock, absolutely. Plus, it's not, also not good to lose contact with the road. So... It is a good idea to have the shock absorber not totally unloading to the point where it's metal on metal and also not totally clunking into itself. So that's cool. Um, steering quickness and complete corners faster. Like we said, um, increase the rear shock preload one position. Basically, that's been a road racer thing for a long time. You want the bike to go through a corner faster? Get the ass end up higher in the air. There's a reason every sport bike looks like it looks. It's not a fashion statement. The reason the ass is in the air is for a damn good reason. It's because by doing that, it leverages the front wheel through the turn better. And increases okay. your steering angle. Absolutely. Somewhere. Yeah. A, a true sport Even bike's steering angle is terrifying. Degree. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to go touring on a GSX-R600. Right? <laughs> Not fun. If more is desired, reduce the front preload. Turn the adjusters counterclockwise until an additional line is visible. To help you visualize that, if you do not own a modern motorcycle and you've never seen that before, when you if you have little caps that look like half-inch tall nipples sticking out of the top of your fork tube adjusters, you can take those caps off. They're not just, a, they're not just little towers. You can actually unscrew them. And when you unscrew them, there'll be either a flathead screw in there or some other device that is used for adjustment. And most of the time, it is marked with lines on the or side. Or a Schrader valve. Or, well, air over oil, sure, it could be a Schrader valve. Yeah. Absolutely, it could be a Schrader valve. If you happen GL to have, if you GL have any, yeah, if GL you have any mid 80s bike, if you see a Schrader valve, that is not for the long distance way to put air in your tires. How much air usually goes in front? Like five? Whatever pounds. it says in the don't fucking manual. Over, do not. Don't use your. Yeah, I'll just put about 40 in there. No, we you use a syringe for that. Yeah. I mean, you can fill those with a syringe. You a don't bike need. Pump. A yeah. bike pump, yeah. You absolutely. might get away with this, yeah. and I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. Yeah. But if you have an air compressor, Turn the regulator. take your regulator oh. all the way down to zero. Yeah. Yeah. And then crank it up till you get one, two, three. Till the needle so slightly it, moves. Till it slightly moves, <laughs> yeah. and you know you can only yeah. put that much yeah. in there. And you can buy air pressure and that way, gauges. You can hit this one. Yeah. You can hit this. Hit this one till nothing yep. happens. Hit that one till nothing exactly. happens, and you have exactly you have the same, same pressure. On each side. It's better to have the same pressure in both legs than to have ten in one and zero in the other. 
That's just the way it works. The bike will track truer. It'll ride better. It'll corner more evenly. Now, in a lot of the bikes, they did get smart, and they put one valve with a splitter. Crossover. With a crossover. That's much Eastside Bob had that one dirt bike. It was an RM125 or whatever. that's pure air. That had pure air. It had these two bells up on top. Uh, Two big cylinders. Two big cylinders to hold the air, and it was pure air. air. Pure air suspension. Yeah. No very rare, very also weird. Also, it's compressing the air in the thing. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Really, I mean, they're really mm-hmm. novel looking because you can see it from a mile away. It's got these two beer can size receptacles up there that have air chucks on top. And that's how you do it. Now, granted, as anything that we've all learned, if you have a CB1000 or you have a Harley Davidson that has the <clears throat> Schrader valve in the end of the left hand grip, or the slightly older one that has it in the crash bar. In the crash bar, yep. Or And you've got the Schrader valve in the back. There's been many different ways to put air in shock absorbers. And what we know is those seals all tend to fail after about five years. and Or one asshole putting a true 120 PSI line on it. Well, if you yeah. put any pressure in the GL1200. A little soapy folks. water yeah. will tell you what the status of that is. Yeah, exactly. If you have those, you just kind of assume they don't work and approach them with a very, very small amount of air. Because if you approach them with shop air or the air pump outside of the gas station, you're going to blow them out. So just assume that they're use a bicycle pump or something really tiny to to put air in them. And the best way to test those is to put in the manual, if it says to put 12 PSI in it, put 12 PSI in it, go out and take a ride. If within 10 minutes of riding, you have as much suspension as you had when you left, I'll be impressed. Usually they don't. Usually it's gone. And uh, in that case, well, you still have... You still have an emulsion shock because that's just air over oil. That's all that is. When that seal blows, it's still an oil shock. It doesn't. And there's still a spring in them, though. The there's still a spring. There's still oil. It's and still a shock. And the pressurized air, yeah. the money leaked out a pinhole, but yeah. there's still atmospheric air in there. Sure. And yeah. when that compresses, it's going to compress that air yeah. faster. It still doesn't have a vent tube in it. Right. It can't, vent, it's ha- it can't vent right into the atmosphere exactly. openly. They still work. They're just in not the, as sexy. In the FLT chassis Harleys, you do lose FLT yep. and FXRT. Uh, look at that Look at that you road light lose, out there. You do lose, if you lose your air pressure, yep. you do also lose their version of anti-dive. Oh, okay. Because All right. Because there's a, in between the reservoir, which is your handlebars or right. your crash bar, in between the re- reservoir and the actual top of the fork, mm-hmm. there is an electronic valve. Is there is really? connected to your front brake lever. Holy switch. shit. So when you, so hit, when you that, hit your front brake it lever, it. it closes the valve oh. and captures the air, just yeah. the air that's in the fork. Right. It doesn't let the rest of the reservoir be right. common anymore. I gotcha. So hmm. I mean, it, it, it stiffens it up. It's not active. Right. But, but if there's no air behind it, it can't. what good is the valve? Right. Yeah. If if there's no difference in pressure between side A and side B, what good is the valve? Well, the that road glide over there, man, I found out the hard way. The day I took it in on trade, it had zero psi in the back, and it was just because the way the bike was manufactured, the previous owner had no way of getting an air chuck device onto the uh, Schrader valve, so he'd never put any air in it mm-hmm. in the six years he owned it or whatever. So it had been at zero psi. Well, that bike loves 40 PSI, 50 PSI. And if you ride it at zero PSI, you're going to find every, you're going to bottom that suspension out every time. So that, on a lot of motorcycles, that air is critical to give you the proper ride. ST1100 was the same way. Yeah. But it was really funny because once the air was gone, yeah. 
for a spotter, you'd have to tilt the bike over 30 degrees to get the side stand down. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you had so much sag yeah. Yeah. that you could not put the yeah, side stand down. Every 20-year-old or older gold yeah. on the road, I mean... <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, that's I just cut a the, couple uh, inches off the side stand, so it's <laughs> that's another. You said gold. I wanted to bring up gold wings. If you own a gold wing and you're listening to this podcast, no. your fork, your fork pushings are shot. Oh, definitely. Okay, just gonna tell you. And your spring, you, and your springs need replaced. Right. If you own a gold wing and you're listening to this podcast, your fork pushings need replaced mm-hmm. because uh, one of the one of the guys that works at one of these uh, companies said. The one thing he can guarantee is that every single every single Goldwing that's come across his lift, doesn't matter age or vintage or anything. You have a Goldwing that is not an eighteen hundred. Right. So this comes back to the question I asked earlier. Too. Yeah. <laughs> How do I know? If, I mean, is there a quick test? Can I pick it up and move the front wheel? Can you tell the play? I mean, is there any visible? Well, I mean, how do you that know? Fir- the first step, the absolute first step, is checking for that sag. Checking for the sag when you take that bike and you get, yeah, that's it. But when you get on the motorcycle and you sit on it and you've done the same test at the back with the, the wooden yardstick and you've done the same test at the front with the wooden yardstick and you realize that you might only have 35, 45 millimeters of sag in the back when you throw your weight on it, but the front end just dove four inches. Well, we know something shot. Yeah. Well, the the real thing with the bushings, and this is an important thing with the bushing. <clears throat> the bushing will not affect how low the bike sits. The bushing will not affect the ability for it to pass oil between chambers. The bushing does none of that. What the bushing does is when the bushing wears, the bushing eats the inside of the fork leg. And if you think a bushing's too much money, you ain't paid for a fork leg. Because once you get a fork leg that's got a belly in the bottom of it from that bushing grinding against the inside of the fork leg, that shock is going to hang up. And that shock is going to have increased stiction. And it's not going to want to give full range of motion because that bushing has been digging into that leg on the bottom of that front fork. And that's when you're going to get that sort of that ground out machined area in there because the bushing has lost all of its Teflon coating if it's modern. And if it's old, it's been ch- it's been chowdering into that casting. Well, chowdering. Once that casting shot, the bushing's a sacrificial part. Yes, That's the part you want to replace. exactly. You don't want to sacrifice the right. front legs. Let the bushing, the bronze bushing, do its bronzy job. But if the bronze is now cutting into your well, we're speaking about bushings mm-hmm. and yeah. older bikes or whatever. You yeah. have bronze bushings in your rear yeah. swing arm. Yep. So I know. Absolutely. I mean, I've had old bikes where you put them up on the center stand. And you can go click, 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 Absolutely. You need new yeah. bronze for yeah. bushings. Yep. And they do ma- they do now make replacement ones out of different materials, Teflon, nylon, all kinds of different or stuff. Or needle bearings too. Yep. You, know, you can buy bearing sets. All Ball sells uh, bearing sets for rear swing arms as well, and you you'll never need to replace a, them again. Another thing I would say is, are you considering? It's not necessarily part of the suspension, but your your steering head bearings and stuff. Oh yeah, we. I mean that's. That's going to make that's making a, a turn. New that's other making a turn point. weird. That's, a, that's oh. a completely different conversation. Yeah, yeah. But well, it's, it's but it's a good time too. to do it because if you have your forks dropped uh, out, oh yeah, if you're everything's the there. Believe me. Your, your if I've got the bearings. forks out of the bike, I'm replacing the steering head bearings. You're getting tapered steering head yes. bearings from all balls. Yeah, I'm doing it, and there's that's just a matter of course. Unless that bike comes in and it is perfectly smooth, left and right, left and right, like there is no hang-up whatsoever, and that tells me somebody else probably already put all balls in there, tapered bowling, tapered, tarried, sorry, every time I drink milk, I Tapered roller ball. Yeah. 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 yeah there so we go. Easy. How's that go, Jen? Roller the, uh, rings. But it really does. 
Think about all the things that could need to be done while you're there and do them. Anytime you take anything probably apart. needs to be done. I, was, I mean, all this is going to take you is about a half hour anyway. You're already <laughs> hanging on a park, so you might as well do it. The park yeah. cost is a lot less than it the is. labor cost. It is. Yeah. Uh, so interesting. What's your life worth, too? What would you say, now this is according to a local motorcycle dealership. for your life. If you said, I'm bringing my motorcycle and it has traditional conventional front forks. Okay? <laughs> and uh, I'd like to uh, have a full fork service done. And that is, that means I would like to uh, replace my fork oil, replace my seals using a good quality seal or an OEM seal. And I'd like to replace my dust caps. And uh, I'd like to uh, have that all taken care of and bring my front forks up to snuff. I would say you probably need a spring too, based on the age. Well, and what I'm saying is, this is just this is just Full take a look at service. my forks. What's that? Full fork service. Let's call it a biannual ten thousand mile fork service. Okay. So, what do you think that the local Honda dealership is charging for that service? <laughs> it's pulling, okay. They're pulling the fork legs out and everything. <clears throat> they say they're doing everything. They say they're polishing your tubes. They say they're. They say that they're doing all this. And they say that it's, uh, they said it's, and they actually did, they were on, they were spot on, because I kind of tested them. And they said, yeah, you should do it about every 12,000 miles. You should get the fluid out. I'm going to say six hours labor plus parts. Okay, well, they were actually $275 for uh, GS500E. So calling, calling it out as being a standard than I Suzuki yeah. GS500E, they said $275. It's actually not bad. It's very reasonable. Yeah. It's very reasonable. So basically what they're calling it out as, they're calling it out as about three hours, two hours in labor, two hours in parts, probably what they're calling it out as, two hours in parts. Now, sure, you think about it, that is a really simple fork to take apart. It's pretty much on the bottoms. They'll take the shafts out, drop, the, drop them out, replace the seals, put the new... Uh, I asked him about the bushings. He's like, we inspect the bushings and they need to be replaced. We replace them. That's code for they don't do shit. Um, so <laughs> you're probably going to have to tell them on that one. Yeah, I want, fucking want new bushings and I want my old ones in my hand. You better give them the new That's bushings right. to put in. And make That's a good move, too. Yeah. Have them ahead of time because the bushing thing surprised me about how frangible they were, how replaceable they need, they needed to be. I really didn't think they needed to be replaced that much. I did look at a couple of service sheets for some bikes that we have service sheets on, like in the book and what it recommends service. You know what? They say front fork service. They don't specify bushings. So that's an interesting thing. Um, okay, revalving uh, the cartridges. Okay, so that would be taking the existing cartridge assemblies out and putting in better ones that don't make the front end so hard. The, the guy from Racetech said if he sees another Triumph motorcycle come in with cupped tires after 1,200, 1,800 miles, he says he doesn't know what they're doing at the factory, but he said every front end in every modern Triumph motorcycle is obscenely hard. Just He said it's the most ridiculous thing. They're, just, they're way too hard. So everybody on all the Triumph forms, the big thing is to change the cartridges. That's what she said. Yeah, way too hard. So... Uh, if you need that, they're going to give you a basic service as well, and they said you can probably expect to spend around four hundred and fifty to four hundred and seventy-five dollars. Okay, and they said on that one they were like, well, the parts can be different depending on what mm. you put in, and I'm, I've agreed. I've looked at the prices of the progressive stuff, and uh, okay. You could also, I mean, not, not to yeah, go ahead. 
But you could also upgrade your suspension with like certain models, like a CB five hundred, like your CB five hundred X, right? Yep. You have an X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could upgrade that suspension with maybe the, the Honda with the same millimeter fork. Yeah. Oh yeah, you might be able to upgrade that with a like a CRF four fifty. I just changed all the internals in my. Yep. So changing yeah. all the internals, they quoted me about eight hundred bucks. So to uh, put in aftermarket cartridges. Uh, they uh, and uh, TourTech quoted it out as well. They said to do a uh, to do a V-Strom. They have an aftermarket cartridge assembly, and they set an emulator sem- assembly. And if you ship them in, you mail it in. You pay for uh, you pay for postage out. They pay for postage back, and it's eight hundred and sixty-five dollars. And the springs emulators yeah. and whatever. And the service. Yeah, with the man, yeah, and you the could put RSV4 well, of course. internals in, so that would be a good upgrade. For then they bike. said for the back of the bike, for most motorcycles, rear suspension goes between $800 and $1,600 a set. Yeah. So you can see real quickly, it's real easy to find $2,600 worth of work that needs to be done to your motorcycle to rescue it from the factory shit that they put on the bike. And the reason the factory puts shitty shit on it is because to do it right costs $2,600. If they did it right, that would increase the price of your motorcycle to the point where you might not want to buy it. Because putting the right shit on is expensive. And it's expensive for the factories, too. Zero does it right. Zero does it right. Absolutely. Moto Guzzi does it right. I'm very happy with the suspension they put on their bikes. Some companies do it right. Some companies don't and do it right. Some Hondas do. And yep. some Hondas BMWs do it right. BMWs do it right. Unless you have the... Is, yep. When you get it from the factory though or a bike off the showroom floor they don't ask you how much you weigh no, you know, they, no. they don't offer you different spring no, rates that's so right when you tailor it to yourself right. in your own riding style you're going to get a plush mm-hmm. suspension that sticks the wheels to the road yep. you don't bottom it out you don't top it out you're going to be stock for the first two or three years and then you're going to make an investment could be up to twenty six hundred dollars to make the bike way better than it was from the factory and perfectly set up for you now, some people aren't going to wait that three years. Some people are going to do it right off the fucking start. They're going to do it. They want their bike to be as good as it can be right off the fucking blocks. The, when I think about that, I start thinking about, like, well, an exhaust system for a bike is about 1200 bucks. Performance mods. You're going to use your suspension every fucking day. Your suspension can save your life. If you're in a pressure situation and you're leaned over and you've got to use your brakes and your suspension's not up to par, it ain't your brake that's going to put you in the ditch. It's your suspension that's going to put you in the ditch. There's a certain percentage of guys out there, too, that, you know, shocks aren't cool, especially if it's buried. No, they're not cool. You can't even see it. Even if you can ride like <laughs> They're a not fancy, sexy, man. <laughs> but the guy's got no problem paying for that shiny pipe that oh, sounds I know. cool and everybody sees it. Oh, man. On the road, whatever. Progressive fork springs are dead sexy until you put them in the bike. Yeah. And then you can't see them anymore, right. and then then all that money you just spend is literally hiding from everybody. But you'll appreciate it when you crank on those brakes. <laughs> what uh, about uh, progressive muffler bearings? What? It, well, hey, <laughs> uh, that's a topic for a whole other podcast. <laughs> if you've ever worked on tires. if you've ever worked on a Moto Guzzi fourteen hundred, yeah. you'll know there is such a thing as a muffler bearing. Okay, <laughs> there is a muffler bushing. It's it's Volkswagen under there, man. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly Volkswagen. If you ever had that Volkswagen flex joint, yeah, yeah, it's, it's under the. There's two of them under there. You're like, yeah, it's kind of a bushing. Yeah, it it serves the purpose of a bushing. The uh, 
that bushing acid but, bearing bearings. Your suspension is also only as good as your tires. So. Yep. Yeah. It's all so really those package. two have to. Yeah. Those two have to come together. If you're going to upgrade your suspension, yeah, and you have crappy tires or old tires yep. or hard tires. There's no sense. Yeah, it gets back to that science of motorcycling. Riding cheap-ass motorcycles ain't cheap. When you think about how much we spend on tires, when you think about how much we spend on maintenance, when you think about how much we spend on suspension, by the the time we get done and two years of riding, whew, man, damn, that fucking Ford Taurus is starting to look real attractive. Uh, Until the handle falls off. (laughs) <laughs> the intake manifold's leaking, and I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a mountain of more expensive problems and parts. The uh, Any of you guys have anything you want to add to the whole suspension conundrum? So this is, to let you know, this discussion is a result of a response to one of our listeners' emails that was saying he just could not figure out what anybody meant about suspension. When you ride a bike that well, has I think suspension, he got, he got a boatload today. Yeah. Well, when you ride a bike that has a suspension that's set up for you, your weight, um, your riding style, and it's a quality suspension, you'll understand what all the talk is about. Yeah. It really is a lot of bang for the buck, and it's most bikes, in my experience, the suspension isn't that hard to change. No. You know, shock usually has one bolt through the top, one mm-hmm. bolt through the bottom. Sometimes it's hard to access one end or the other, but you. Unbolt the old one, bolt the new one in, and boom, it transforms the bike. Yeah, when you do some research and find out what shocks you're supposed to have on your bike, uh, and you get them, boy, it feels good. And the difference in the Moto Guzzi V7 Racer, which comes with the Bitubos from the factory, and the OEM, especially when you ride an older OEM, like an 09, and the difference in ride quality between the 2000 and the modern 2013 bike with the Bitubos and the old one with the uh, OEMs on it, Man, it you can it feels different. It's confidence inspiring. It makes you feel like you can rail that thing around like it's no big deal. Do it I really get cool. what I paid for? I don't know. I don't know because if you spend big or you're getting really well, we didn't even talk about like an emulsion shock versus a nitrogen charge right. shock. We're not even getting into that. You start getting into that, yeah. and it does because the right. emulsion shock eventually gets foamy, mm-hmm. and you lose some of the shock yeah. performance. Mm-hmm. So the suspension fades. So yeah, it yes, fades. Exactly. like your brakes do. Yes. Nitrogen stuff stays better longer. It's and it keeps remote reservoir, the temperature separate. is the the temperature and the valving, the being able to control how fast the the oil escapes and re-enters the compression chamber of the shock absorber and the back we're talking about. Um, the, the ability to control the velocity of that oil back and forth, which you can do so much better in a remote reservoir shock because you have all that real estate to do it, and you have a chamber where you can control the temperature of it. So you can much you have much greater likelihood of keeping that oil in its nominal temperature, and also you don't just put fucking fork oil or shock oil in those remote reservoir shocks. You have to bleed the air out of those. You're literally vacuuming like in a vacuum vessel to take the air bubbles out of the so oil. That little screw that's there. Yeah. Like, don't take that. Out. Yeah. Don't take that out. <laughs> <laughs> the top screw holds the nitrogen. That's in. akin to the magic dust. It is. The, the top uh, screw holds the magic. Yeah. 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 The Let top screw. Out. The top screw that is begging for you to take it out. Don't. Don't take it out. <laughs> and if it's a Schrader valve, don't let it out. The the nitrogen that goes in there, it goes behind. You it basically changes the summer and yeah. winter. It pressurizes a chamber behind a metal disc. That has a big seal around the outside of it. I've cut them in half before. They're kind of interesting the way they work. And that nitrogen is there because it is not air. It is not oxygen. It's not what we breathe. And it's 
sitting back there so it doesn't impregnate the oil with air. And nitrogen is, whenever it heats up, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Rates. its yeah, Exactly. So when it, as the temperature changes, it doesn't perform different. It doesn't expand or contract. It performs the same way every single time. And so when that vessel fills up with oil, as the heated oil expands, it's under the exact same pressure. It and when it cools the down, universal it gas constant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it does not follow the universal gas. Thank you very much, Steve. That was awesome. <laughs> that was. Is that Dick Wild? <laughs> That's it. Dick Wild. I don't. Uh, I don't think that with most people who ride their motorcycles timidly or in a commuter fashion, most people don't will never realize. I'll never realize how shitty the suspension was on that 1975 XS 650. And it was shitty. Do you know why it was shitty? Because it was factory fucking original from 1975. I also never rode the bike hard. You know, yeah. it was a, it was a lazy bike. Ride a CB350 hard and prepare to shit yourself. As been, Shane did. Been, been, yeah. <laughs> been there, not that. Been yeah, there, no. done that. That's scary. I rode, the, I rode the Dragon multiple times on a CB350. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. I have in my garage. I mean, you. It's just like you sit on it. It's like. <laughs> dampening? We it's don't need no stinking stick. dampening. The rear, the rear shocks are focused. Yes. And half the bikes I push around the showroom, customers' bikes that get pushed in, I hit the little bump going into the inner out of the service bay, and the bike goes ding, ding, ding. And it just literally hops all the way down to the service department. I call the customer, I'm like, yeah, you need shocks. Well, why? They're not leaking or anything. Can't you put a spacer like, well, in there? <laughs> You need shocks because I was pushing it at three miles an hour and it bounced all the way into the service department. I've got basketballs that don't perform as well as your bike does. You need shocks. It's and, a super ball. Yeah. On two wheels. And it is funny because we don't think about it with our cars. You think 50, 60, 80, 90, 100,000 miles with a car, you don't think about shocks. Well, how many times have you been going down the highway and you yeah. see a car that's just like floating up and down, up and down, up it's and down? It's usually a Buick yeah. LeSabre. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's usually on side. Yeah, that's what it goes. Well, I hope you guys had fun in the two hours. If you didn't have fun because we weren't our normal jackass selves, it's because, well, this is what happens when you get a professional podcast. What do you mean you were? We were our normal <laughs> jackass selves. <laughs> Come on. I tried my hardest. It's a real goddamn motorcycle podcast. Milk and cookies podcast. Right. If you don't, if you didn't like that, we're going to go back to our whiskey and vodka podcast next week and tequila and everything else. Say, I don't right. think there's more than like a six pack consumed here though. No, no, I drank milk and cookies. I didn't fucking, I didn't, and you notice I was all slurry and shit. You know why? Alcohol content's way too low. All right. I'm going to fix cookies. I'm going to fix that right now. All right, guys. On that, please remember to drive fast and take chances. Play us out. Press the button, press the button, press the button.